This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Thursday, the 9th. Is today the 9th? Holy cow. What is happening to my life? Great show for you today. We've got a lot to get into. Um, man alive. Do you ever hear these stories of your, uh, of a, you know, an American traveling to Syria and then all of a sudden they're coming back fighting for ISIS? Has that ever worried you? Have you ever thought to yourself, man, could my kid, could my kid fall into that trap? Well, today we will be talking about the radicalization of our youth, how it takes place, and uh, how ISIS is targeting youth. So uh, you'll want to stick around for that. We will be speaking with an expert on that, what you can watch out for as a parent, and what we can do as a country to make sure that our youth don't feel, uh, you know, ostracized, that they're not on the outs so they don't feel the need to, uh, to be radicalized. We'll get to that great um, interview in just a few minutes. We also will be celebrating Presidential Joke Day. We'll get into that in a few minutes, uh, plus more on Trump and guns. In fact, apparently I, I read uh, Trump denies it, but uh, Secret Service has been talking to the Trump campaign about comments. I heard last night the Secret Service denies that, too. Oh, do they deny it? Yeah. Good. It was apparently an erroneous report from CNN. CNN, interesting. Or, or, or as Trump said, the low-rated CNN. <laughs> That's a big uh, point right now. CNN's ratings are hitting a little bit lower. Uh, they're saying it's because they're so against Trump. But it might just be the Olympics. Could be. Could be the Olympics. We'll get into all of that. So much to talk about today. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie? Donald Trump's support among female Republican voters has experienced a 13% decline since the conclusion of both the Republican and Democratic National Conventions. In late July, 72% of GOP women said they support Trump. While that number supports represents a substantial majority, the Times noted that the three previous Republican presidential nominees fared much better with GOP women at the same point in the election season. Romney had 93%, McCain garnered 98%. And in 2004, Bush had 93%. A man scaling Trump Tower using giant suction cups was roughly pulled into the building at about 6.30 p.m. by members of the New York Police Department after reaching the 21st floor yesterday. His main purpose to climb the tower was to deliver a message to Donald Trump. And in a video he posted to YouTube, declared that he is an independent researcher seeking a private audience with Mr. Trump. He is currently being held at a hospital for psychiatric, psychiatric evaluation. Uh, Baltimore Police Commissioner Kevin Davis confirmed that six officers were fired for violations following a scathing report from the federal government that condemned the department for racial discrimination and routinely violating citizens' constitutional rights with unlawful stops and excessive force. The report describes events such as BPD sergeant instructing a patrol officer to make something up in order to stop and question a young group of black men. A 163-page report says the abuses fell mostly on back residents in poor neighborhoods. And finally, in your Pokemon news, 
A Ugh. California college is offering a physical education class based on the popular augmented reality game Pokemon Go. Fresno City College announced registration is now open for the four-day-a-week class, which flyer posted in, a flyer posted on campus explains will... Four days a week? Four days oh, a week. Cow. It will promote fitness through walking and catching Pokemon on FCC campus. <laughs> <laughs> Students interested in the course are required to provide their own phones or other mobile devices with data plans. And they have to pay for it. Wow, Sadie. So what's, what's the school doing? Nothing. You well, pay for the phone oh, oh, the and the data plan. on the class. Okay. Yeah, that seems fair. It's just an excuse to play the game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well done, Sadie. Thank you very much. So now you're going to see college campuses, uh, you know, groups of people. Do you remember, have you ever, have you ever taught a, pre, um, a preschool class or the nursery class at yeah, church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how they and I can just this is totally what it's going to look it's like. It's like herding enough. cats. Yes. You gotta that they, they, you have everyone hang on to a rope. Uh -huh. okay, we got a rope. Every kid hang on to a rope. Right. And then on the rope, and then you just walk them around the building. That's how it how it probably That's end what's up being. going to happen now. Pokemon Go. All the students are going to have to. They're just going to put them out in whatever the common sort of area is that has a lot of uh, Pokemon stops, <laughs> and just send them out there, and they'll just wander around for an hour, and they'll call it a grade. But it is physical education, so I mean, it's not like it's... Well, but is it? It's a, that's the class. It's classified as a PE-type course. Well, I know, see, but so they, that means they're going to need to actually run, right? Because wouldn't physical Not necessarily. It's demand... more about just movement, fresh air. Seems like you need, like, some aerobic. Let's just say like... that the standard bar is really low on <laughs> what physical education is anymore. Just keep moving, kids. Keep moving. Wow. I mean... I, did you? Re I don't think I had to take a physical education class in college. I had to take one. Hmm. That was uh, like a general credit. It might have been an elective. I don't know, but I took it. It seems like it might be more valuable to have your kids taking a finance class or a nutrition class. Or Pokemon Go. No. What's happening to our world? It's an elective. Why, why would you take an elective, your choice, and pick finance? No, that's why what the choices ought not be Pokemon Go. That's what I'm saying. This is where censorship, totally valuable. <laughs> okay. Totally valuable. Anyway, uh, what, a, what a day. Um, the Olympics, I didn't get a lot of time to watch it last night because I went to bed early and I got eight hours and 15 minutes of sleep men's basketball team yes almost lost I know I did hear that they were down by five at halftime had, had was able to pull ahead and 10 point win usually to, they're winning by 40 they playing Australia yeah they have uh, several NBA or just close to NBA level players and they were able to uh, hang with the alleged best team in the in the tournament seems like um you know Australia is going to be one of the only teams that might be able to hang that long. I don't know. Venezuela, you know, stuck with them in the first quarter. Yeah. Venezuela. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Was playing China, I think, last night. Yeah. I saw that. Then you went, then why? I'm, I'm going to go to bed Let's early. Let's turn this off. Huh. I'm going to go watch paint dry. 
<laughs> Anything? Uh, any other fun updates? Well, speaking of the Olympics, yeah. I just found this on the way in. Um, it says NBC is beginning to worry that you aren't watching the Olympics. In a year the network had hoped would blow the London 2012 ratings out of the water, NBC is experiencing quite the letdown with real viewership. NBC's performance stumbles. Uh, viewership for Friday opening ceremony fell by 35% compared with four years ago, followed mm-hmm. by a 28% tumble in the first day of competition. Although NBC has done better since, the average audience of 28.6 million after five days is down nearly 20 percent from the 35 million who are watching the london games viewership among people 18 to 34 has fallen 32 percent overall that's out of the new york times this morning for a year that features the return of michael phelps and usain bolt the news should be causing uh, some nervousness all over nbc because they're not getting the eyeballs yeah but the company believes that it knows where its primetime viewers are going cable channels like bravo uh, MS or uh, NBC Sports Network and online channels. They have other options, not the main NBC channel, but right. other options to go watch all the different you know sports that they're showing all day long. But see, do they not understand? Does everybody not understand how much money NBC spend on this? They spend a lot of money. Well, a lot of money. So everybody help NBC and only watch NBC. But maybe they'll get some help with the people that own your cable box, and they've manipulated things so they can get yeah. also the ad revenue on top of your cable subscription money. Yeah, they're double yeah. dipping. That's great. Last night, I just all I have to do is I have a magic cable box, and if I just hit C, all of a sudden it's all Olympics. And there you then, go. All Olympics all the time. And then I watched a bunch of stuff again that I didn't know that I wanted to watch. Now, yesterday, Trump was kind of... He didn't do anything really out of out of the ordinary. He didn't threat. He didn't like yeah. any veiled like let Second Amendment people take care of Hillary Clinton comments. Mm-hmm. So that was the day that, before. He, that yeah, there was more fallout from that. But it goes on at Bloomberg. dot com. Uh, they had a poll that might have found the answer. There are people that are really trouble. What troubles people the most about Donald Trump? So mm-hmm. they did this this uh, survey. It says Trump criticism of a reporter that is seen as mocking the reporter's physical ability. If you remember, he yeah, did that. Yeah. It bothered 62% of respondents a lot. Only 15% said it didn't bother them at all. 15% of people weren't bothered by him mocking somebody with a disability? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, It says, by comparison, Trump criticism of a fallen soldier's Muslim parents after they spoke at the Democratic National Convention bothered 56% of people a lot. And uh, Trump's praise for Russian President Vladimir Putin was the least concerning to respondents, only bothering 42% of respondents, compared to 27% that it didn't bother at all. 27% weren't bothered at all that a dictator... Was receiving praise from a presidential candidate. Yeah. Man. So those are the numbers that worry me, because the country's divided anyway, but then there's this certain percentage of people that seemingly don't care. Anything goes. Anything goes. Yeah. That's too bad. And it goes on. There was a um, an examination of Donald Trump's tweets. Oh, why? That was done. Well, they're trying to, they, they're, they're seeing a tonal change in the way things are said. This is to see if he's really having a turn. Is, is he turning or is he even really crafting the tweets that go out like he said he does? Mm. Or is someone else doing it? It says, when Trump wishes the Olympic team good luck and he's tweeting from his iPhone, when he's insulting a rival, he's usually tweeting from an Android device. 
right? So this is an artifact showing which tweets are Trump's own and which are by some other handler, possibly. Is that what we're seeing here? My uh, The analyst from this, uh, this guy that wrote the article concludes that the Android and iPhone tweets are clearly from different people posting during different times of the day and using hashtags, links, and retweets in distinct ways. What's more, we can see that the Android tweets are angrier and more negative, while the iPhone tweets tend to be benign announcements and pictures. Maybe he has a split personality. What they are concluding is that when it's from the Android device, it's Trump. When it's from an iPhone, it's a staffer. It's an angel. Because it comes across more of like the iPhone tweets come across more like a PR type thing where they're just promoting something on the website or here's a photograph or whatever, whereas the stuff from the Android stuff is pretty hostile. The flippant mean stuff, that's, that's Trump at night in his silky robe. And then they go to further... To, to question, does Trump have the password to his own Twitter account, ah, or did his staff change maybe it, they've taken it and kind of regulated what he can do trying to control the message a little more? Have, have they noticed a change in uh, how many Android texts or tweets are going out? Yes, quite a few less. <laughs> in, they're in they're fact, getting to him. There's a graphic here. It says, on, in October, Donald Trump used to send 77% of his own tweets. Now it's down to 24%. If but, you're looking at Android right. device versus iPhone. So 77% of his tweets were from an Android device. Now only 24% of those are from an Android device. Oh, wow. So he's either busy mm-hmm. or someone else is kind of taking control of this because he's getting in trouble more. And they want to kind of minimize, let him have some fun, but minimize <laughs> the damage to the game. I bet at night they give him a little sedative. <laughs> and then when he falls asleep, they take his phone away. They could. And then they do whatever they can. Whatever they can to make it easier for him not to speak. You heard about longtime ESPN anchor John Saunders dying. I did. That's tragic. Yeah. He's 61 years old. Yeah. And a fantastic talent. Man, alive. What's happening to this world? It just keeps churning forward in time and things Six, happen. 61 is not that far from my current age. Is that what the concern is? <sighs> yeah, huh? Are you are you beginning to see the mortality mm-hmm. ahead of you? Oh, I've been seeing it a lot lately. A little worried about? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. Yeah. I mean, when you're not sleeping. You, you have time to think? You think a lot. <laughs> you think a lot. You know what has really helped last night to sleep um, was I just didn't have my phone. Nice. I wouldn't, I didn't allow myself to touch it. Turned everything off. You know what's amazing? It went right to bed. Did you miss anything important? No. Oh, great. I don't think I did. I have no idea. <laughs> I guess you'll find out. I will find out through the day. I doubt you did. But, uh, man, that's sad. Our best wishes to uh, John Saunders' family. Golly, what's going on in this crazy world? We have got a wonderful topic um, to learn about today. ISIS, we hear about it. We, we hear about its reach, even here in the United States, with, uh, I think, 100 or so. Um, Americans have gone over to be radicalized and uh, have tried to find their way back. And so could this happen to you? Could it happen to your youth, to your children, to people that you know in your part of the world? We wanted to talk to an expert about how radicalization takes place. Who are the targets? How does this happen? So we'll be speaking about it in just a minute with James Rollins, Wonderful article that he wrote, and uh, there's a lot to learn on this one, folks. You're going to need to learn. I'm telling you. I don't think the ISIS thing is going away, let alone the radicalization. And it doesn't always have to be radicalization toward ISIS. It could just be toward anti 
society, you know, belief systems. So we'll get into that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. With recent shootings in San Bernardino and the Orlando nightclub shooting, ISIS terror attacks are becoming more and more common here in the United States. ISIS no longer works on password-protected forums. It is now operating on YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, and other social media sites targeting our youth. James Rollins, who has been deployed to Afghanistan and currently serves on special assignment to the U.S. Northern Command, is here uh, with us to talk about ISIS's recruiting efforts that are taking place in our own backyard. ISIS radicalization, they're targeting our youth, and uh, and, uh, James Rollins joins us now to help us walk through uh, this problem. James, thanks for being with us. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for asking me. You bet. And this article uh, we've been kind of focused on as we've been preparing for this came from your um, your your organization to Cuba security right. uh, what what is what is your what is your organization what do you do well I'm a private consultant uh, company that uh, offers security advice to fortune 500 companies and in general anybody who asks certainly um, yeah. and uh, we also provide resilient strategies for businesses as well for a, a variety of uh, things that might affect them natural disasters things like that well, we so, need we need your advice as parents on how to, I guess, deal with the targeting of our youth um, by ISIS. Talk about the how ISIS goes about, um, you know, finding and and who are they targeting when it comes to to uh, to enrolling people into the the uh, ideology. Well, what's interesting is that you know, ISIS doesn't hold any special powers. You know, it's not like they can reach into your child's mind and and uh, all of a sudden, you know, pull them over into their doctrine and, you know, convert them and then, you know, put them to these, you know, dastardly tasks. I mean, they 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 have to be invited in. And, you know, so fundamental to all of this, you know, is an individual's uh, resentment. Uh, so, for example, you know, if I'm in a community, I feel isolated, uh, I feel maybe discriminated against or just simply not liked, I, I might generally form a resentment about that. Mm. And then uh, as a result of that uh, resentment, I'm going to go out and I'm going to feed it. Um, I'm going to try to find reasons why my resentment um, is uh, um, fair or justified. And, uh, and what ISIS does is they provide the doctrine for that. They provide the narrative for that. And, and they do that through a, v- a variety of means, uh, which uh, we have really very little to defend you know, against because we are an open society. Uh, we don't you know, make it a habit of going down and shutting down uh, anybody's right to free speech, so um, they can operate freely. Hmm. So okay. basically they're targeting somebody that's been disenfranchised, that has resentment, I mean, and it's, it seems like a lot now because of, you know, job markets might be hard, people that don't, that have time in the day that aren't necessarily secure um, in their incomes, maybe high school kids. You brought up in your article, this parallels, their approach parallels what uh, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold did uh, in prior to the Columbine shoot down. Well, well, the similarity is, is 
the the fact that you know in the radicalization processes is the new words we're using for it to describe basically nurturing a resentment you know Klebold and Harris um, spent years um, you know building on the resentments that they had now they, there was other factors involved in that case yeah. you know mental health mental health etc and you know just many missed opportunities to kind of interrupt that that cycle of violence but I think that. Uh, what what we can take from it is the fact that there was a narrative. They had to develop a narrative around it. They had to they had to justify their feelings. They had to justify the horrendous acts that they were contemplating, and they found fellowship. They had to build a fellowship up around them of hate, and that fellowship uh, at the time, because this was in the 90s, we certainly didn't have the extended you know social media capabilities that we do today. You know, but they found that through, you know, some gaming forums, you know, on AOL, you know, probably talking with other disenfranchised people, and they also found it with each other. Um, and, and they nurtured it, and they fanned the flames until they, they got it to a threshold where they were actually, um, you know, put, you know put, where they pushed themselves into action. Mm. And I think what, what, what we find, you know, when you, when you examine the ISIS issue is, it's not like I say that they have any special powers, but what they do is they have a, a narrative, um, they provide lots of fodder, okay, to feed the resentments. Right. And they provide advice, you know, on how to do the best, you know, the, you know, the, the things that you can do to pro- promote the most harm. So, um, you know, and it's a lot more methodical, more, uh, a, a good word for it might be a franchise. Yeah. So if something does happen, you know, what they're hoping for is that somebody's going to mention that it was, you know, they did it on behalf of ISIS, so now their branding is <laughs> it's, right. it's almost like a marketing strategy, you know. It, it, it almost is, isn't it? They're using yeah. marketing techniques and social media uh, techniques to to target these those that have resentment. That's right. You know, if they haven't found any grounding in their community, um, they're vulnerable. So really, they're not. They're not. You know, they're targeting people who are vulnerable. So you know, if if your child is well adjusted and you know linked into the community and you have good dialogue with them and you understand what's going on in their life and their thoughts and feelings, I mean, those are all things that, you know, you would find in loving relationships, mm-hmm. you know. But if you have an individual who's isolated, uh, you know, moody, not talking a lot, uh, showing some signs of, you know, wear and tear and, and uh, um, you know, certainly uh, letting things slip that would indicate anger, I mean, I think that uh, that person should probably gather your attention. But But if you're going to... If you're going to do anything about it, just you know, you have to you have to approach it in a, in a for the lack of better words, Matt, uh, in a loving way. Yeah. You no, know, I mean, uh, the problem with a lot of our approaches is that uh, we're only left with uh, a, a criminal uh, approach mm-hmm. in our in our toolkit. So it's like when we notice something going on in the cycle of violence, it's like we have to let it uh, cross the threshold of criminality before we do anything, and then it's you know it's a criminal matter. So the person is prosecuted, convicted, and thrown in jail, or or whatever, it's like we have very few community resources with which to one promote a a, a, a different narrative. You know, to 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 intervene in the narrative of violence and really and, and maybe intervene with a narrative of hope and a community relation, a connectedness and love. You know, you know, it's just it's like you know it's a fundamental you know component of any any healthy relationship. Right. right? Well, so, it's, isn't that, I mean, they don't, they're being ostracized maybe in school, mm-hmm. but we, like you're saying, there's nothing other than law enforcement. Um, really, I mean, schools could maybe help more, but also churches, community groups, neighborhood 
community efforts, sporting teams, any, anybody that could reach the youth could, could probably help. I think that that's, that's spot on. I mean, the bottom line is, is that when you're dealing with complex issues like this, the best approach to it is a local approach. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's actually, as far as I'm concerned, besides, you know, intelligence gathering and intervention at the criminal you know, matter level, you know, is really where the federal government and maybe even the state governments are, are stuck. But I think that the, the people who have the solution in their hands um, are local community groups. I mean, think about it. I'll give you know, an example or a parallel. It's like here in my own town of Tacoma, Washington. We had a gang problem starting in the 90s when the Bloods and the Crips moved up mm-hmm. you know, north, and they started to take over some of our um, more challenged neighborhoods. And, and, our, and the, the, the response in the neighborhood is really kind of a nice story. The response in the neighborhood was to create community groups and to start to root out and interrupt that violence. Uh, that was occurring so widespread in the 90s, and yeah. now it's a it's a a peaceful place, uh, and they still work on it. It's not like they you know they got rid of all the gangs and and everything went away. They, the gangs are still there, but they they uh, have a tougher time at it. Um, they, that, that's really the right approach. No no one knows the fabric of the community more than the community, right? Right. You know, so if you're going to get in the, involved with that, that that's the approach to take. You know, churches, you know, schools, uh, PTAs, you know, all of these are the, the, the I think, the uh, locus of change that we should seek. Does, is it, uh, is it um, a Muslim thing? Or, or can Christian churches approach and and because we really, who they're radicalizing are all faiths, right? This isn't. We we think of this only as Islam's oh, yeah. problem that's no. affecting us, but the reality oh, is, no, is they're no. targeting everybody. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, um, I think every religion has got blood on its hands. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think that the, the you know religion provides us with our basic narrative for living life. It's the basic drama where we can see these, you know, where we can really see violence played out before us and the consequences. I mean. The purpose for these stories is for us to understand, you know, who the hero, who the villain is, and then, you know, uh, what the outcome was in terms of consequences, so that perhaps we can avoid <laughs> these consequences right. in our own lives, right? So that's the basic narrative of all religions. But, you know, people, um, uh, you know, who uh, have other purposes for that religion will twist it in a manner in which it suits their purpose, and then it forms the the basic ideology necessary to to uh, you know pro, to emote or to promote the, the the nasty things that they want you to do. And and it's not just you know religion. I mean, even in the secular ideals that we have in our constitutional forms of government, we have to provide similar ideologies in order to justify violence. I mean, when we go out and we defend. Uh, ourselves and other areas of the world, we have to provide you know, certain good guy justifications for all of that. Right, right. So it's, it's really all the same process, okay? Um, maybe not all the same ethics, though, um, but you still have to provide that basic narrative in order for a human being to feel like they have the necessary uh, justification to, to, to do such a horrendous act, whether on the side of good or evil. I think that's... That's huge advice too. Just, I mean, every every youth group, every church group, every uh, PTA meeting, they could be discussing how do we bring in these people on the edge, on the fringe, that don't necessarily feel like they're being included. How do we uh, make people feel like they're a part of something? We're speaking with James Rollins, uh, the author of a wonderful 
um, article on uh, ISIS radicalization targeting disenfranchised youth and how to uh, turn that around. He uh, works at TacubaSecurity.com. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion, find out what we can do as parents and uh, what we might want to watch out for, how ISIS actually goes about reaching these estranged uh, youth of ours. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. to the Matt Townsend Show. How does ISIS radicalize youth in America? It's a it's an interesting approach and honestly one of the probably most advanced activities that ISIS is performing would be their social media campaigning probably. They're on the cutting edge there. They know all of the techniques and tricks. They constantly rotate the services they use, but they're using Facebook, YouTube, Tumblr, Twitter, you name it, to find these disenfranchised youth and those that uh, truly have resentment toward the country, toward others, and then they teach them. They teach them what they need to do, the advice they need to fight back. Um, Crazy, crazy thing to think that uh, your child or somebody that goes to school with your child could be radicalized, make their way back to the Middle East, be trained and then brought back to the United States. It's a scary thought. Joining us is James Rollins, and uh, James is a um, is is an expert in the field. He wrote a wonderful article called ISIS Radicalization, Targeting Disenfranchised Youth that gives us so much information about what we can do, how we can fix some of this, what we need to watch out for, and we're talking to him, and uh, he's just tutoring us as parents and community members on how we can make our world a little safer. James Rollins, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Matt. And again, security dot com is the website. T a k t a k o u b a t a k o u b a security dot com. So, James, um, what do they do? So, what are their techniques? How do they use social media to to bring these kids in? Well, I, I, actually, there's a um, a really good. Uh, uh, description of that. Uh, it's called ISIS in America, and uh, it's written by Lorenzo Vidino and uh, Seamus Hughes um, from the program on extreme, uh, extremism at George Washington University. Mm. And they, they did an excellent study that uh, describes how um, the uh, um, how ISIS uh, targets youth. And, and, and generally, uh, what they do is they they, they basically cast out a, a message, and the message. Uh, they hope the message then resonates with somebody in a community uh, that uh, you know is looking to nurture the resentment, as we spoke of in the first part of the of the show. And uh, when they get that person into that dialogue, then they start to uh, basically support that person. Now, if there's any kind of a counter uh, to that, you know, whether you know, like the government, uh, some of our security agencies that may be monitoring these kinds of com- conversations, sees what's going on and, and attempts to intervene, or they're detected. Um, then what uh, ISIS does is they they drop that node and then they do a blast to all the people that were responding to that node and uh, they just basically move it so that mm. way they can av- avoid detection. So you know they're very 
they're very uh, they're very good at it. And just just the fact that you know with the World Wide Web, they can do it from Syria, they can do it from you know Iraq, they can do it from wherever they are. And there's very little that anyone can really do about it with respect to you know it's not like the police can go break down their door and haul them off. So, right. You know, and not not only that, but there's just you know various ways that they can mask uh, where they are, you know, even in the, on the World Wide Web. So, and even if they could do it, let's say that they can't lure this person to Syria, they still are influencing them greatly, and it's still yes. an advantage. That's right. That's correct. And, and then, yeah. but their goal is to get them to Syria, I guess, eventually. Well. I, honestly, uh, based on what we've seen, uh, their goal is to you know to do that. Probably a lesser um, from here in the United States because it's just that much more difficult right. to get over that far. You have so many more gates to get through, um, so it's you know pretty low probability you likely make it. But there has been some. There's been, according to the study, like 75 folks that have been uh, you know moved out, uh, you know who have attempted to get to Syria. Um, you know, because there it's war. The good guys and bad guys are a lot easier to determine, and you know, so it's a lot more attractive. There's some glory in there. Yeah. Um, you know, to to uh, that endeavor. Um, but it, what we're starting to see is that people don't have to leave home, right? I mean, here we're in the United States. We got act, you know pretty re- <laughs> easy access to guns, and uh, if you want to go out and do mayhem, you can uh, you can do that uh, fairly simply. Um, so it's really testimony to our security apparatus that. You know that we haven't seen more, and um, I think uh, we really need to really need to uh, keep our attention on that. But I, I, I don't, you know. But getting back to where we left off at the end of the first yeah. segment, I, I don't think we should solely rely on law enforcement agencies to be our only uh, stop measure to this. We, we we really need to, you know, again talk about what do individuals do that will. Um, prevent this from happening. You know, I, what, what, what can Matt do? Yeah. What, you know, what can James do? And, and well, parents. Really, and, and, and parents. But, and, but yeah. some of these kids that are disenfranchised yeah. don't have their parents paying attention anyway. It's not like the kid's going to say, hey, Mom, I really want to go do spring break in Syria, in Kabul. <laughs> yeah. So it's so yeah. you're not going to get this overt statement, but you're going yeah. to see signs. What are the signs that, I mean, I really think, uh, teachers could see those that are on the f- those that are maybe excluded or on the fringe, and this could start. I'm assuming young in life. I mean, junior sure. high. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I don't think that I, I don't think that it's uh, something that comes on you know as a sudden onset, and then you know somebody walks through. I think it takes you know quite a few, uh, quite a bit of time. I, I can't really quote because I you know certainly haven't read any studies that have you know lined this out, um, but. Uh, it, it takes a bit of time. You got to develop this this whole, uh, like I say, you have to develop this whole narrative. You got to find justification for it. You maybe even find some fellowship in, in order to, you know, of, of hate, you know, in order to uh, to do such a horrendous thing. And, and I guess too, you don't have to buy. They don't necessarily have to buy into um, the religious side of it as the narrative. They could just buy into the fact that America is dangerous. Or, you know, right? um, but somewhere along the line, though, you know, and this this uh, this this idea, another good place to get some information about it. There's a CBC lecture, CBC Ideas lecture given by Jordan Peterson, uh, University of Toronto, and he he talks about how um, you know he, he talks about the personality that a person has to uh, to develop in, in order to do such a horrendous act. Mm. And one of the components of that personality is arrogance. Okay, there has to be 
something that makes you greater than another person or even greater than God in some cases. I mean, if you listen to um, the way, you know, if you if you read the journal, for example, for Klebold, oh, yeah. you know, you look at his narrative, he tells you how he feels about things and how he how he sees himself in relation to other people. He thinks he's God. Yeah. Okay, and he puts himself above God, even in the story of Cain and Abel, right? Right, <laughs> right. And you we, know, see, we see these, these threads throughout. So, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, I think that's an important part of this. Well, and we saw, for example, the Charleston church shooting, mm-hmm. where just, again, seemingly ostracized, resentful, angry, arrogant situation where many, many, many were hurt and using violence. And I, I guess in the end... Um, we we need to as communities, and, and it, like you're saying, yes. it's got to be on the local level. Yes. We need to start finding these people earlier, and uh, then what? Oh, well, we gotta we gotta help them, <laughs> and, and I guess include them. <laughs> yeah. if it, not it, it, diagnose about, them. Not creating a, you know we we live in a pluralistic, uh, and we're supposed to be an inclusive society. Yeah, I mean, you know, and again, we got to get it down to individual behavior. You know, how do you treat somebody that you see that you know is is uh, wearing um, a hijab or, or uh, you know, is, is obviously a Muslim? You know, how, how do you treat them? How do you interact with them? Do you treat them with fear uh, and avoidance, or do you or do you embrace them and you bring them into your into your uh, into your social mm-hmm. sphere? Um, you know, it's all about you know. Um, being uh, in feeling included or feeling excluded. I mean, I think that's the the basic the thing that starts all of this. Um, so, I think that, uh, that we have to really examine our individual behaviors. And you know, right now, and I, I heard earlier in your show, you guys were talking about, geez, what's going on in our country? Well, I, I think that you know we're starting to see some of these basic resentments find narrative footholds, you right. know, even our political figures. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of scary, isn't it? Very scary. Yeah, so we're talking about, you know, again, basically what, you know, we would probably call social justice issues, and, and what we really need to start, you know, kind of meditating on is, is uh, how, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to promote more inclusivity, how are we going to kind of get ourselves uh, back on track again, you know, with a, with a common theme that we all can agree with, you know, that seems to be what we're struggling with in this country these days. Is it... Um... And again, too, it's maybe we've relied a lot on government, thinking government would would be fixing this, but in reality, it's not going to be government that fixes no. it. It's going to be the neighbor boy playing yeah. with the neighbor boy. There you go. That's exactly right. I, I think that you know, again, complex issues require, I think, local changes because I, I think that what we're beginning to see, especially with the speed of change, you know, promoted by you know, the Internet and uh, social media and such, that um, our governments are just having, simply having a hard time keeping up with the rate of change mm-hmm. in social uh, attitudes and, uh, and information. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we really need to begin to bolster our local approach to things. Man, isn't it funny? It does come back down, like you said earlier. It's, it, it's this simple service, love, acceptance. Yes. People need to feel like they belong. And you know what? Those principles come from religion, too, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, so, you know, that's the thing. It, you know, you can get both. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, <laughs> and, and, and it can, exactly, it can be both. It's, it, it is, seems like we made a move, I don't know where it was, somewhere 60s, 70s, 80s, where we turned to government to be the provider, the caregiver, the teacher yeah. of these things, when in reality it's much more kind of homegrown. 
I think so. So we can talk uh, about it as families, right? Bring it up to our kids. Yeah. Reach out to the neighbors that need the that need inclusion and. Anything else? Any other things you see as an expert in the field that would make a difference? Well, I, I think that um, I, I think that's really the extent of it. It's really general advice, just simply because I think that that's the reason why you rely on the local response because they they need to innovate, they need to create the dialogue, and they need to innovate, and they need to find their own solutions because you know it, it, there's nothing really prescriptive about it. Right. Know, it is really simple advice, you know, it's about inclusivity, love, and, and helpfulness, you know, I mean, because if you pull these people in and uh, you help them, uh, you know, uh, you, you basically short-circuit that resentment. Good stuff. James Rollins, thank you for your time. Appreciate your work and your insight. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. You bet. Keep up that great work. James Rollins, again, is a managing partner at Takuba, a firm that provides consultation and planning for companies in the area of business continuity, incident management, and business operations. You can find them at Takuba. Hold on, let's get there. I got to get to their website. Um, TakubaSecurity.com. Takuba Security. Good stuff. Folks, parents, it is. It could be the neighbor kid down the street that nobody talks to, that nobody reaches out to, that we all just kind of assume, oh, you know how he is. Let's not leave anyone behind. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you reach out and finding the good in the world. We'll be back. It's my house. Come on. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends. Welcome to my house. You know... There are, isn't it interesting, the target for ISIS and uh, radicalization would be the ostracized, the, the, the one that has resentment. And how many people have that? I mean, fit that criteria simply because, you know, people won't play. They're a refugee. They come to the country and everybody's parents heard weird things about the refugees, so we don't embrace them. We don't allow them in. Or it's the, the Dylan Klebolds of the world who ended up spending a lot of time hating the jocks and the popular people. Playing video games, going to chat rooms, spewing their venom, and then... Nobody was pushing back on them. And then the event. Let's just have a massive shooting. So these people aren't, they're, in many cases, they're us. They're you. They just had a bad turn where people weren't stepping in and weren't there for them. And then the people that were there for them aren't the ones we need there. Uh, it's It's probably the same way that we create, by the way, other radical groups. Uh, A Ku Klux Klan probably could happen the exact same way. Um, Gangs could happen the exact same way. If you don't feel like you belong somewhere, then you just need to, I guess, find somewhere to belong. So as a community, we are terrified. We hear of these shootings. We 
uh, we go after the guns. We go after the politicians. We honestly believe that a politician is going to make the difference. Right. We've seen for years that politicians can't make a real difference in getting the neighbor to go accept the 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 uh, estranged neighbor child. That's not a political problem. That's a that's a family problem. That's a street problem. That's a personal problem. So this is one of the reasons why we've had on the show recently this a lot of experts talking about how we got to watch out for our language and kind of this globalization versus uh, populist approach by, you know, batting down the hatches, locking up the country and thinking everybody outside of the United States is wicked and horrible. Watch out. Watch out for that because and it's not just because it's going to impact the economy. You can't have everybody that doesn't look like you be your enemy or you're going to create problems. And that could be anywhere. You see it in every single high school, don't you? Just your high school kids. There are many times who who in high school didn't feel at one point or another like they had been kicked out. They're on the outskirts. So I think a lot of us can feel what that feels like, but how do we fix it? I, I think we probably need to risk more. We need to be willing to let people into our circles more. Uh, we probably need to allow the opportunity and teach our children that we can have people that have different values from us. They don't all have to think like we think. We can take confidence in our values. We don't have to do things that are against our values. But if somebody sees the world differently than us, we might want to find a way to bring them in instead of just circling the wagons. Now, we don't have to, obviously, but we will pay if we don't. We'll pay. And it will, we may just pay with people that don't like us. We may just pay with people that try to create laws against us someday. That's the that's what makes this hard is we're all trying to get along and yet uh, we have a hard time actually accepting a lot of people. Again, it doesn't mean your values have to change because their values are different. You can keep your values and still respect other human beings and invite them in and they may not show. But think about it. The kids in your neighborhood. Can you think of somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in your church group, somebody in your uh, friend circle that isn't quite included, somebody that's gone more quiet, somebody that, that needs a little bit more attention, maybe need, doesn't get the supervision or the help from their parents, or some that are angry? I just challenge you. Go try to reach out to some of them. Find a way. Let's see if we can't fix some of these issues on the local level, which uh, might make it easier through this presidential election to, to find the peace. Perhaps the peace isn't going to come from your election. Perhaps the peace has to come from you and your day-to-day interaction with the people around you. Hmm? Just a thought. A little thought from Dr. Matt. We'll take a break, folks. That's the first hour of the program. Stick with us next hour. We're going to teach you how to lose weight by training your brain, not necessarily your body. Perhaps working on the brain's the fastest way to get healthy. Uh, excellent research coming up on how to turn off that eating mechanism that makes you bingey. Stick with us. We'll be back.
the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number two of the program. We are locked and loaded. We've got uh, some great tools and insights. You know, one of the program, one of the goals of this show, we want to give you the lessons that could be learned from so many of the stories around us. Today, we will be teaching you about why when you accidentally shoot yourself, you probably ought to just set the gun down. You don't need to keep shooting things. Mm. It's a very important lesson from provided by one of our humans it's on a, Earth. It's a life lesson. It's a life lesson. Yeah. Life lessons. That's what we're trying to bring you also on the Matt Townsend Show. Yes. There are, there's a new flavor of Girl Scout cookie, and there's a new flavor of Oreo. Is it we'll hot bring dog? Those to you. No. Good, because that was a new cream. flavor of ice cream that yep. made me sick yesterday. So we will get to the ice cream new flavors, uh, or the Girl Scout cookies newest flavors. Mmm. Was it Oreo? Both. Ooh. Mmm. They're, they're in competition. Well... It is a, a tough, sugary world out there. Yes, it is. May have to uh, get everyone their fix. <laughs> we'll be talking about that and what perfect timing because uh, Oreo and Girl Scouts are remaking cookies. Uh, we will be talking about how to lose weight. And maybe the way you lose weight mm. isn't working on your body. No. What if we could go into your brain and turn off that little fight or flight mechanism that kind of puts you into this survival mode and keeps you eating in survival mode. Well, we will be speaking with a PhD that does it for a living and teaches how to turn off the, uh, the driver that wants, makes you want to eat. If you turn that off, then you can go exercise and you'll get somewhere, right? Because you're not going to just pig out on cookies from the Girl Scouts. It's the idea. But you may want to. These are some tasty flavors mm. i don't know how it actually on the execution side i can hardly wait the mention itself we'll be getting to that as well as uh there is a real batman terry there a real well, true blue batman well we'll see the purist doesn't like to believe in other batmans other than the ones he's read about just the one in gotham well this one's i think in russia somewhere yeah, he's in moscow is gotham in russia no it okay. is not just checking. We'll get to all of that. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie? So someone has been shooting at cars along a busy street in San Jose, and police are stumped. The San Francisco Chronicle reports cars have been fired on and reported 10 times since May. The most recent shootings, which were announced by police this week, took place last Thursday and Friday. Authorities believe all 10 shootings are connected. While police aren't releasing many details on the shootings, all 10 shootings have occurred between midnight and 3.30 a.m. in the general area. So far, no one inside the cars have been shot, but two people have suffered, suffered minor injuries. Um, from being grazed by either bullets or broken glass. Officials with knowledge of the case involving a reported hack of the Democratic National Committee emails now believe more than 100 party officials and groups had their private emails breached. The female or the FBI has now brought in its investigation and informed Democratic politicians. The primary targets were the personal email accounts of Hillary Clinton's campaign officials and party operatives. Officials are crediting the attack to Russian hackers. 
The United States pulled out a 98-88 to victory, but it was far from easy. Australia led the United States 54-49 at halftime. It was the first time Team USA trailed at the end of a quarter since 2004. The U.S. led was led by Carmelo Anthony's team, high 31 points. In the win, Carmelo Anthony became the all-time leading scorer in the U.S. Olympic basketball, basketball history. Team USA moves to 3-0 and in Rio and plays Serbia on Friday. And in your final Olympic news... Several Olympic competitors and spectators were baffled after the water in the diving pool mysteriously turned green. Someone asked on Twitter, wait, is someone playing a joke? Or are we celebrating St. Patty's yeah. Day here early in Rio? <laughs> mm -hmm. The event continued as planned and Olympic officials shared an update stating that the athletes were not at risk and the cause was being investigated. The water quality at the aquatic center was tested and there are no risk for athletes. And we are uh -huh. investigating the case, they wrote. They, they came out later with an explanation. Mountain Dew. No. I thought they were trying to get a little sponsorship. Oh, I thought that would be interesting. Swim in a pool of Mountain Dew. Oh, that would be great. Kind of sticky. Uh, they add chemicals to the water okay. to treat it. And uh, they did. They ran out of... Apparently, they, there was uh, the, the different percentages of the chemicals were off. And so there was a uh, chemical reaction, and the reaction was it turned green. Now, no harm to anybody. It's Nobody just a weird color. It's going to dissipate. Uh, we heard yesterday there was one pool... And then the water polo pool next to it was still blue. That pool, again, turned green. Oh, it, So it was the diving pool that turned green. Yeah. The water polo pool was green. still blue. Yeah. Then it turned green, and it's just going to cycle out. It's just the chemicals had it, a reaction to each other. Well, it seems like you would know you would know the chemical. You'd think. Maybe this is all so new. I think it was a mistake. Yeah. They did hey, the wrong— Mistakes happen. It's not like— it's not like this is a big event. Yeah. The world is watching. It's not like the muddy green water is important. We don't need to see what they're doing under the water anyway. And they don't need to see apparently under the water because right. they can't see any, can't anything see anything. under there. Hey, who cares? You know what? Accidents happen. And that that's a perfect little segue to uh, a story that we wanted to we wanted to teach a really important lesson to everybody out there. And we're going to use an example of a man who accidentally shot himself while staying at a campground, hmm. right? So he, 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 he apparently, air quotes, chose to fire off uh, – he accidentally had a gunfire and then he chose to fire again the gun, a gun, the gun, okay? Well, in anger. Yeah. The incident occurred at Jellystone – not Yellowstone. That's a different campground. Jellystone Campground near Silver, Silver Lake, Michigan where a 48-year-old man suffered an accidental gunshot wound to his hand when he was handling his 9mm pistol. He then chose to fire off another round into his bed in the camper that he was staying in because he was upset that he had wounded himself. So he shoots himself. Yeah. Ow, that hurts. Bam! Then out of anger, he takes the gun. And where maybe you would kick a chair, yeah. throw a pillow, yeah. he just fires the gun again. Yeah. Bam! Does it again. Wow. Now, we feel that this is an important enough issue that we wanted to teach you and have a teaching moment. Mm -hmm. So we will now, we've put together a dramatization okay. of why it's important to notice you have a moment to choose. We will begin the dramatization and then we will talk about it. Okay. Oh, this gun will be the perfect gift for Darla's birthday. Oh, let me just make an inscription here. To my dearest Darla. Ah! 
and cream. I shot my left hand. Uh. Oh, dead nabbit gun. I'll teach you to go off accidentally on me. Take that, bed. Oh, darn it. I forgot it's a water bed. Oh, well, at least I didn't shoot the TV. Oh, no. Oh, goodbye, Gilmore girls. Well, not my fridge. I just defrosted it. And now my humidifier. Oh, this thing's warped. I gotta get something else for Darla. Well, at least I'm out of bullets. Oh, my toaster! And I was making Pop-Tarts! There's always one more. See? There's always one more. Gotta make sure. So. Clear the chamber. What's the lesson? As we gather now, let's talk. Kids out there, everybody makes mistakes. You might even shoot your hand. But one hand down doesn't mean you need to start shooting the bed. Where right. will you sleep, guys? Especially if it's a waterbed. Don't, don't ever of... shoot a waterbed. Right. It's going to get you. Don't shoot the fridge. No, it holds See, the food. At any point, this man could have stopped. Hmm. And then he shot the TV, and the TV is our friend. The TV is the friend. Then thinking all was well. He still fired the gun one more time. He, it was cleared, it sounded like. But there's still one bullet somewhere that yeah. shot the toaster. Yeah. No more toaster strudels, no more Pop-Tarts. Well, warm toaster strudels. Yeah. You could just eat them. They're kind of chalky, but it's fine. Totally. The point is, this man showed incredible control not to swear. Right. He said dad gum. And something about potatoes. He's well-trained. He knows enough control not to swear. But he lost control. It's that itchy trigger finger. Yeah. So the rule is, if you have a gun and you accidentally shoot yourself in the hand, put the gun down. Really? The Walk o- away. The only thing he shot that's a problem would be the TV. The waterbed. I mean, hey, you could sleep on the floor. But he's in a trailer. It's okay. It's going to be wet. Well, yeah. Throw down a the towel The bigger or problem is other people could have been hurt. When you shoot yourself in the hand, yeah. what's the rule? Put the gun down. Walk away. <laughs> what's the rule? Like, we've done this before, so we've decided We that have now made that an official there's rule. There's a plan of action for this situation. Again, That's interesting. We, we're starting to do more dramatizations. It's a, it's a good tip. It I is. think everyone needed that today. Because where does that stop? Mm. He could ruin the commode. He could have done crazy stuff. Could have. But I do want to say I respect the fact that he didn't lose... <laughs> He didn't. He didn't use vulgarity. Bam! That's one situation. I, yeah, you might. You may end up there. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is great self-control. He Seriously. showed. He's got to love the guy. Uh, let's get to Russia with love. Apparently, Russia has a Batman. They have their very own Batman, which Terry used. It's totally plausible, right? I mean, I think they have a guy in a Batman costume. Why would you say that? Because I think that's what it is. No, this is Batman. Everyone knows. Bruce Wayne lives in Gotham. He plays this music in his car, drives up, wearing tights. He's he's that Batman. He, by the way, has captured around 40 criminals, and it all started back in June when a taxi driver witnessed a man dressed as Batman entering a building that later proved to be a drug den in the middle of the night. Hmm. He was entering a drug den. Nice. Which... 
Yeah. Yeah. That's really what you should be doing mm -hmm. as a private citizen, just walking into places where you could possibly get severely hurt. The guy that saw him enter the drug den, though, told police that he heard people screaming and yelling and being thrown around inside. He heard all these sounds, and the mysterious man then walked out, threw some sort of firebomb at the ground, and disappeared into the shadows. Mm-hmm. A few minutes later, law enforcement arrived at the scene, entered the building, and walked out with two men in handcuffs. There you go. He back his, cuffs. He had his own cuffs? Yeah. And you know they were back cuffs, because mm -hmm. there's only one kind, right? Check. I think he threw a batarang. It's next to the shark repellent that he keeps on his utility belt. <laughs> For sure. So he's Russian, you said? He's Russian. Now, we actually, uh, we have a quote from him. Ooh. That, uh... We just happened to catch. Mm. Let's let's play that now. Minyazavut, Batman. Ooh. Wow. That's Russian. Look at that. But this reminds me, in one of the uh, recent Batman movies with Christian Bale, there was uh, a scene where they're in a parking garage and there's all these other guys dressed as Batman, but they're basically wearing like hockey gear that they yeah. spray painted black. Mm -hmm. And they're running around with they're different- They're wannabes. They're just wannabes. That's kind of what this feels like. No, but he, it was a drug house. It's okay. You just, you got some guy that knows and how to fight. And he brought a bomb a... out or something. It was probably like a bong. Yeah. See, not a bomb. See, Batman. And he threw it down. Batman would have drove up in the Batmobile or flew in in the Batwing. And that's not what happened here. Well, he's, let's just say he's underfunded. Well. He's an underfunded Batman. That's he's, not Batman's situation. He's Russia's a had a hard economy. They've had some problems. And Nerd alert! Batman doesn't live there, so he wouldn't be suffering from the Russian economy. This Batman just spoke Russian. Now, if this is part of Batman Incorporated, which is in one of the comic books, where he has different people as different versions of Batman around the globe. Oh, maybe that's what's happening. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, maybe... Ah! <laughs> Maybe Batman is starting to franchise. Bruce Wayne got injured, and so he kind of pulled back, and others stepped up in the Bat family, if you will, stepped up to kind of take the reins and kind of keep control and order. He's he's a masked vigilante to the police, but he calls himself the Reaper. But not Batman. In fact, we have a quote of him saying, I am the Reaper. Oh. Minyazavut Reaper. Oh. <gasps> Okay. That's scary. <laughs> Humanity's first superhero. He's also been asked by the police to help him root out evil. The police are asking him? Yes. For, okay. Maybe in fact, we quiet. have a quote. Oh, oh, there we go. We have a quote of I'm the police asking him in Russia to root out evil. Извините, пожалуйста. Простите тебя, а я не знаю, почему ты делаешь это. Я пью тебя. Wow. So was that the question asked and then accepted? Uh -huh. wow. By the Reaper. Also known, a.k.a. Batman Russia. There you go. Because uh, Batman's franchising. That's great news, guys. I love it. The buy-in on the franchise is mm -hmm. pretty tough, though. It's pretty steep. Oh, it's so expensive. Five, six hundred thousand just for the franchise, just well, to get started. Then if you want the Batmobile, if you want the Batarangs, you know, if you want the Bat yeah. Belt, if you want all the other goods, and then if you want Robin, mm -hmm. that's the high end. That's called they call it the blue ticket. The blue ticket is if you get the Robin and the Robin Mobile mm -hmm. and then the I mean he uh, rides a motorcycle, it's a little different. The cool thing about it though, by the way, every week if you're in the uh, blue label, then you get um, 
tights, new tights. Oh, nice. Every other week sent to your house. Well, that works. Bat tights. Mm, these tights are bat tight. Crazy stuff, folks. But this is the information you don't get everywhere else. You know what I mean? Sure, go to CNN. Find out what Donald Trump said. Who brought you the Reaper? But the Matt Townsend Show. With live audio in Russian. Are you kidding me? Big league. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to train your brain to lose weight. It's all here. And validated research on how to turn off the eater inside your brain. Cool stuff. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Losing weight is incredibly difficult, isn't it? No matter what method you use, it may seem impossible to prevent weight gain. But uh, it's possible, my friends, that you're missing a vital aspect that uh, so many of us overlook, the mental aspect. Our minds and are, are very powerful things, right? And we are here today to learn how to overcome our minds. Think about it. How does your brain impact your eating? When you get stressed, does your brain go into autopilot? Well, here to help us with this uh, in not just uh, managing our mind through weight loss, but also managing our brain in stress and other conditions is Dr. Laurel Mellon. She's a health psychologist who founded and developed emotional brain training. She's an associate clinical professor of family and community medicine and pediatrics at the University of California, San Francisco. And we're honored to have her on the show today. Dr. Mellon, thank you for being with us today. What a pleasure, Matt. I'm so happy to be here with you, and I love your program. I've been listening to it and really enjoy the great work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Talk about this. I, I was intrigued by your idea because so much of the time we're just getting into body, right? We're getting into the weight loss, yeah. the nutrition side. But in the end, so much of this is about our brain. Well, you know, the brain is the main controller of our entire being, our thoughts, our feelings, our behavior. And the problem with the brain is it's not the thinking brain that's in charge. It's, that's the conscious mind. It's the emotional brain, the unconscious mind, that we don't even know is operating in the background. Hmm. It's telling us to overeat. It's telling us that we're bad or to, we don't have any power. And these uh, circuits in the emotional brain, up until 2007, we thought we would have to use medications, go to a therapist, go to a shrink, somehow to figure out what's going on in this elusive emotional brain. And it turns out you can really organize it very, very easily using neurophysiology. And that's just what EBT, emotional brain training, does. Oh, wow. It just says to you that you are essentially in five different levels of stress of your emotional brain, not your thinking brain, because it's not the controller. And if you can identify it on a five-point scale, one, two, three, four, or five, and use an emotional technique that's right for that level of stress, you can spiral up to a state of connection where you don't even want the extra cookie. You're your most loving and productive self. It, wow. Re, the tools are absolutely magical. I loved the article. It's Because in my mind, I'm thinking, whoa, we can control this. It's just step by step by step. And I guess that's a heightening of our consciousness. 
Well, you know, you probably know about mindfulness and yeah. meditation, and they're very well accepted. What I want you to think of as emotional brain training, EBT, is a combination of being absolutely present in the moment, yet being able to identify the level of stress in your emotional brain. So it's kind of like the x-axis, if you think back to math, mm-hmm. kind of being mindful, but there is a deeper level, and that's how much stress is going on in the brain, because essentially we have in our brain five different drawers full of memories. And these memories tell us how to automatically respond in life. And if we're at low stress, brain state one, that's low stress, high, high joy, we have the top door of our brain activated and everything is hunky-dory. We don't even care about it, whether we have that piece of cake and we're really, really kind and loving people because we're drawing upon those memories but automatically and universally for all of us, when we go through more stress, and stress is part of everyday life, we can go down to, to stress level two, three, four, and five. And when we're down in the bottom of the brain at stress level five, we have no joy and no sense of connection, and we have extreme behaviors. This is true for all of us. So this is what EBT does. Number one, you come in and you learn the five techniques so you know what level of stress you're in and how to spiral back up to brain state one. And so it makes stress management easy. But once you have these tools, you can do a lot of things. And it's it's sad to say, but for example, I had an early love affair where I fell in love with someone and they absolutely broke my heart. Mm. And I really believe these memories in the bottom of my brain when I was at the high stress levels, which is brain state four and five, reptilian brains in charge, and they're stored there, that was probably going to block me from loving again. Because every time I'd begin to love, I would trigger those old memories without my conscious awareness or choice. The brain automatically does this. And it would get me stuck, stalled, judgmental, and I couldn't go forward. So what these tools do is, as you're going through your day, when you come up with something like someone's rejecting to you, you just use those tools and they actually pull apart the memories and let them be reconfigured in a form that helps you love rather than judge. Hmm. So those memories from the past begin to fade and so you take charge. And and so because we our brain is it, it's it's going to go into fight or flight kind of mode which I guess is the it's the uh, reptilian brain and when it does in an extreme level I guess is what you're saying like when we get to the fourth level or the fifth level yeah. it 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 overrides the system and it's going it becomes automatic responses versus a, a chosen intentional approach to life. Absolutely. And, you know, we all have brain states fours and fives, and they're actually good. When I've, I've written several books, and you, when you, as you know, when you're writing a book and when you're trying to do something hard, there's some hard moments. And if you go down to brain state five and really try to figure something out, that's when you're most creative because you have breakthroughs. But then with the tools, you spiral back up so you get that great idea and you don't have to live in a state of stuck stress. So it's not that stress is bad. It just we need tools so we don't get stuck in it. Yeah. Does uh, so and and really what becomes automatic is our our food eating response. Well, that, that's what I'm most. I quite frankly, when I was a kid, I had an emotional overeating problem, and I went to UC Berkeley undergraduate, and I became a nutritionist, and eventually I ended up uh, becoming faculty member at UCSF, and I began specializing in obesity. I thought, my gosh. I have all this knowledge about nutrition. I hadn't become a health psychologist yet, and I'm going to solve this problem. Well, the problem is that in this country right now, the reason that obesity rates are still going up, now 71% of us 
are overweight or obese is because we've been focusing on the wrong brain. There are basically two major brains inside of our heads. The thinking brain, what we know, analyze, the plan, decide. And I knew everything I could know about nutrition and how much I should exercise and when I should exercise and what I should do. And that plus five cents gives you a nickel <laughs> because the wires are circuits that control our three major brain structures, the amygdala, the, the, uh, the, the fear, or in other words, the fear center, the appetite center, and the reward center. They're all in the emotional brain. And if that brain is at stress level four or five, really stressed, all of them flip the switch toward weight gain. So we've been focusing on telling people what to do in the thinking brain, wrong brain. We've got to move it to the emotional brain, and you rewire those patterns so you stop even wanting the extra food. Wow. It really is. I mean, I see trying to turn off those brains as well. One of the most difficult things we do in trying to get couples talking. And so, you know, right. that, that's what I mean, I could, I could see a lot of use for this there as well. Right. The idea is that a couple, um, in order to emotionally connect and look at all the literature on relationships, and many people come into relation, into emotional brain training, into our telegroups, and they do it because they are not connecting with their children emotionally. They're not connecting with their, their spouses uh, emotionally, maybe even their coworkers. Actually, one of the hardest things we do with our emotional brain and these tools is to emotionally connect because this is how it looks. In order for me, like right now, to be able to emotionally connect with you, I first have to have my thinking brain, my the mindful part of me, connected to my emotional brain. So I'm first and foremost connected to myself. So I feel safe. I feel authentic. I'm vibrant, and I have integrity. That's a foundation. Then I need to emotionally connect with you, and you could be at any level of stress, stress in my Emotional brain, like all of us, has no walls. So if you're stressed, it's going to flow into my brain. And so I'm even going to have to be better at being able to stay connected and use these tools. And then if I can open the emotional pipeline and connect with you, I can have love. I can have sensual sexual pleasure. I can have loving companionship. And I can be forgiving. And so that's why couples come, because the hardest thing we do is intimacy, and it's the most important thing we do. Mm. It's so interesting in our brain kind of, again, at a level that we're not even really paying attention to, our brain is driving so much of our our failure. It is. And we, the other thing that people come in, I was in a telegroup uh, last night, and a woman came in, she said, I finally got it. And I said, well, what did you get? She says, I, I got that I keep on repeating the same patterns over and over again. I keep, even if I stop overeating, then I start drinking too much, or I stop start on technology too much or spending or hoarding or clutter. I just have one excess after another. And she's, I said, yeah, that's because your set point or your brain habits down there in the fourth or fifth drawer of your brain. And those circuits were encoded before the age of three or later during stress. And they do not go away by thinking. You can't think your way out of those circuits. You've got to melt them with these emotional tools. You've got to melt them away. Great, uh, great Back insight. Malcolm. We'll take a break. Uh, we're speaking with Dr. Lauren Mellon about um, EBT in emotional brain tr- uh, training. We'll come back. If you go to her website, ebt.org, you can find out more information about how to, how to start using EBT uh, in your life. And we'll come back. We're going to have uh, her walk us through this. How do we do it? How do we get down to that fifth drawer and turn some stuff off? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Is it time to lose weight? Could it be that your stress levels uh, are at play? Your very stress could be driving your overeating, and yet your brain, because it's stressed, starts to just play the, hey, time to eat, time to save, uh, time to shut down the system so we're not going to lose any weight here. You got to get to a level of understanding your brain, especially at an emotional level. It's called emotional brain training, and it's a wonderful um, tool to help us understand. And I think in the end, we can unleash a lot of our problems by by getting better understanding of our emotional brain. Dr. Laurel Mellon joins us. She is a psychologist, a health psychologist who has founded and developed an emotional brain training program. If you go to ebt.org, you can find out more about it, uh, even take assessments and, and see how you can start to re, I guess, I don't know if you reboot the brain, but at least understand and, and move yourself from a stress level to a lower level of stress. Dr. Laurel Mellon, welcome back to the show. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Is that is it you don't you don't reboot it. You end up you have to move from one level of stress in the brain to a to a lower level of stress. Is that the goal? I totally love your question because you're right on both counts. So let's say I take a nice deep breath and let's just do that right now. And I put my hand on my belly or on my heart and I check in with my body. That's where we experience our emotional brain. That's where we read our stress level. And so I say to myself really kindly as I'm walking along, I say, you know, let me check in with myself and see if I can spiral back to a state of joy, get out of this stress. And I say, what number am I? Am I at one, uh, feeling present with a slight bit of joy or glow, two, feeling good, three, a little stressed, four, definitely stressed, or five, stressed out, where the bottom of the brain is in charge. And if I say, let's say I'm at, at, at at three. And I say, great, I'm just going to accept that. No, I think I'll spiral up. And I, I spiral up, and I'll t- show you how to do that, that tool. It turns negative emotions into positive ones. But every time I spiral up to, back to a state of connection and well-being, I not only make stress management easy, but I change. I actually rewire my brain so it's easier and easier to spiral up. So essentially, you're changing the brain's long-term habit. So instead of its habit or set point emotionally being in stress, it can be in that state of connection and joy. So you're doing both things. You're reconsolidating circuits, erasing them, and making them into more effective circuits in the past. And secondly, you're actually getting a great spiral up to a different level of stress in the brain. And you're training the brain. Right, you're teaching the brain to do this. I know that's great. Yeah, it's and you know what? There are only five tools, and I first learned them when I, I first I first use them with children to go to the root cause of obesity. And when it comes to obesity, we are doing such a disservice to 71 percent of our population by telling them if they just ate uh, unrefined foods, they would have a solution. That's not the case because when the brain is in stress. Uh, apples, oranges, uh, meat, potatoes, anything like that is just like not what we want. We have unstoppable drives from stress to eat artificial foods, refined foods, as well as other excesses. It's just how the brain works. And so instead of fighting Mother Nature, 
you spiral up to brain state one where you don't even care about the extra cookie. So people are judging themselves because they can't lose weight. They can't lose weight because they're not mastering their emotional brain. And they're not taking charge of it. And knowing you can't lose weight um, stresses you. So it's self-perpetuating. It's self-perpetuating. All of a sudden, these judgments come. I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. I'm, I don't have any power. Well, we do have power. It's by learning five simple tools that anyone can learn so they can take charge of their emotional brain. And then it becomes fun. Yeah. <laughs> I was working with, last night. There was someone, a group who had lost 40 pounds. These are telegroups, which because the emotional brain is a social brain, you learn the tools online, but then you use them in small groups with a coach that there's no therapist or no MD or uh, it's, it's simply a coach is there with six other people and you practice them for an hour a day, pardon me, an hour a week. And what happens is you come together and you support each other. The brain wants love most of all. So we were in this group last night and someone said, you know, I've lost 50 pounds, but I just got a really bad uh, eye, eye injury and I'm in a lot of pain and I'm really scared. And when I, I noticed that I started to get hungry again, hmm. I said, well, let's listen to you spiral up. So she spirals up back to brain state one. She's, oh, I feel so good and I don't even care about the food. So essentially you, you need emotional tools to deal with emotional circuits and it's emotional circuits that are causing our obesity epidemic and everything that comes with it, diabetes, all the other problems that go with it. I'm, I'm assuming that this, um, just because our brains are so smart that we, if we're not careful, I mean, you really have to spiral up and emotionally change your state. You can't just pretend spiral up, right? I mean, exactly. I could see people faking this to please their therapist so they can get out of the room. But in reality, you're not going to feel great and turn off this, these mechanisms in your body unless you actually change your emotion. That's that right. And, you know, quite frankly, Matt, the, the issue is that many people say, well, you know, we, we have to think our way out of problems. And that was really, that's how cognitive behavioral therapy came about. Right. There was a belief that Freudian was, you know, the Freudian way was wrong. We couldn't do anything with this big lump of an emotional brain and an unconscious um, way of operating. So we had to think. Well, it turns out that thinking is actually pretty good. It's just, it's just way weaker than changing the emotional circuit. Mm. And up until now, if you said to yourself as you walk through your day in all five different stress levels, how do I feel, you would have probably gotten in trouble. Because if you were at brain state four, the feelings get stuck. We get depressed, we get numb, we get ashamed, we get hostile. And so feelings aren't that safe unless you have these five tools because they're processed differently, different techniques for every level of stress. Would you like to use the tool for for stress level three? And I'll show you how great it works. Yes. How simple it is. Yeah. Okay. So, so each level just, has a tool, right? And, that, and Each level you, has a tool. So you have to recognize the level you're on and then use the tool to get to the next level. To, get to spiral back up to yeah, one. That's okay. where the brain wants to go. Yeah, let's go. And that when you spiral up, you, you, you affect the physiology in every cell of your body. So you have a huge That's great. Shift. Okay. So I want you to take a nice deep breath. And remember, it's about your loving, safe connection to yourself, to others, to the spiritual. That's what you're connecting with in the emotional brain. And you say, hey, take a nice deep breath. And again, put your hand on your heart or your belly. Really connect with yourself. It only takes about 20 seconds. 
can do it at work, you can do it in the car anytime. And you say, hey, I get my safety from connecting to the deepest part of me and knowing my stress level. Am I at one, feeling great, two, a little stressed, pardon me, two, feeling good, three, a little stressed, that's what we're looking for right now for you if you can be, four, definitely stressed, or five, stressed out. What would you guess for yourself? Just play Mm. with it. Three. Great. I'm a three. Okay. Okay. So in 2007, we figured out the tools precisely, and in 2012, we put it on in an online program so you can just have an app and a website and do it. And we made it really, really simple. So all I'm going to do is say a few words, then you repeat the words for eight sentences, and then see what words bubble up in your mind. It's like complete the sentence you used to have as a kid. So the, the, the four, there are eight feelings. You move through anger, sadness, fear, and guilt, and all of a sudden, you know, the, all of a sudden the sunshine comes out, and you're in grateful, happy, secure, and proud. Let's give it a go. Yeah. Are you still uh, game? Yeah, okay. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to write them down so I remember. Well, I'm, you don't have to. I'm going to do it Oh, you're going to coach me through it. Okay. Coach. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're go for it. I, I'm going to say it, and I need you to say it, and you're using your thinking brain, okay. and then you're going to let the wisdom of your emotional brain fill in the blanks. It'll bubble up some words. Okay. I feel angry that. So say, I feel angry. I feel I, angry that. Now pause, that beautiful pause, and you're letting your beautiful emotional brain complete the sentence. It doesn't have to make sense. Just a few words. Um, I feel angry that I can't get everything done. Perfect. Wonderful. Now we're going to do the second one. Okay. I feel sad that. So repeat those words and then wait for the emotional brain to answer it. I feel sad that. I'm not doing all I can. Wonderful. So you've done two great. There's only only a few more. Okay. I feel afraid that. Again, repeat the lead in and then wait for the emotional brain. I feel afraid that I will let people down. Beautiful. One more negative, and your brain will naturally become positive. I feel guilty that. Now, that's not shame. It's just I have some power here. I could do, have done that differently. Mm-hmm. I, I feel, feel guilty. guilty that. I'm not... It's almost the same. I'm not doing all I can. Now take a nice deep breath, and the brain naturally goes to the negative to protect you to see if there's some something that could be a threat to you. And once you've cleared away all those four feelings, now you're going to turn your attention and notice you can connect to yourself more deeply and all of a sudden say, I feel grateful that. Repeat that. I feel grateful that. I'm learning how to change. Beautiful, beautiful. Take a nice deep breath. And I feel happy that. I feel happy that it's this easy. (laughs) I feel secure. I really do. I feel secure, even a little bit secure that. I feel even a little bit secure that I can do this right now. What? Woohoo! And I feel proud that I. 
You've been yeah. a little bit proud. Yeah, I feel proud, or even a little bit proud, that I did it on radio. <laughs> Woo-hoo. That's great. So that works. If you're learning these tools, what happens is, because the emotional brain is has no walls, your joy gets get spread around so it circles around the room i can imagine that you're no all my team here they're giddy my team are just (laughs) they're all they were all doing it well some of them were some weren't but yeah and the the wonderful thing about that is that that is not just old-fashioned feelings these are emotional circuits that control every cell of your body and because of that their health happiness productivity and loving relationships are going to be stronger when they're in that, that stress level one, in those beautiful memories, and they'll have a much better day. So each level has a, has a protocol that you just take it through, and then you to go to the next level. How long would it take somebody to go from a damage control level five um, to one? All the tools take you right to one. But So how so long does that take they, as a process? They, they could take... Three, four or five minutes. Uh, yeah, so it um, depends. Um, but three to four, five minutes. Between, yeah, somewhere between one and five minutes to get to brain state one. That's great. And in that state, like let's say they were hungry and they wanted a blueberry muffin, when they get to one, they the drive turns off. And the reason it turns off, and this is extremely important, I think, particularly to our audience today, Matt, is that when we're at brain state one, the reward centers light up for higher order spiritual rewards. Hmm. So these these rewards of doing the right thing, there are seven of them in EBT, and you actually train your reward centers so they stop wanting the various excesses that we all get into that are artificial, whether it's technology or food or drinking or whatever that is. Train the brain to naturally crave being authentic, being integrity, having vibrancy, intimacy, spirituality, Hmm. and ultimately It's like Maslow, right? You get to the higher need. We've we've moved to the higher (laughs) ability. It That's is. Cool. It is exactly like that. And what happens is the overall goal, and this is out of Rockefeller University, and uh, my devotion is to seeing the, the potential for us to each take control of our emotional brain and move up our emotional set point. And when the habit is to be more in one, still free to move through all the, all the states, because every time you go down to four or five, you actually refresh yeah. your emotional architecture. You get stronger and deeper. Adversity actually helps. The brain gets stronger. But if we uh, can just start by voting with our own emotional brain and have more of us use emotional brain training, get that set point up so we can be even a stronger force of love and light in the world, Mm. who knows what could happen. Oh, yeah. Love it. Well, it's helped. It's helped me, man. You moved me from three to one or three to two, I guess. And then I'd have to go through the two protocol. But uh, Dr. Laro Mellon, thank you so much. This is interesting, important insight. EBT.org is the website they can go to, right? Absolutely. And we have offers there where they can get into a telegroup. They can do it online and they can learn these tools and really take charge of their emotional brain and their lives. Good stuff. Good stuff. Appreciate you again, Dr. Laurel Mellon, and uh, your great work there at ebt.org. We'll take a break, folks. Just elevated. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, whether you get, like, understand what we uh, what we were just talking about with emotional um, build, oh, what's it called emotional brain therapy, whether that's the way you want to go, you, at some point, you need to focus on your emotions. I'm a big believer that all issues, all relationship issues, all life issues, really, are emotional management issues. Life is great when you're feeling great, right? Is life great when you feel horrible? No. It's the emotion that makes it great or not. Well, no, it's really what's going on. But you've probably had situations where you were at a higher state emotionally, a healthier state emotionally, and still going through difficult stuff. The difficult stuff in life will not go away. Your ability to manage the emotion it's important, and we just manifested that with uh, Dr. Laurel Mellon. Going through those questions really are pretty powerful, simply because, do you notice, it makes you almost find your shame. It almost makes you—it made me look at my guilt. It made me dig deeper into what I am doing and what I'm not doing with my own life. Those thoughts that she was processing me through create a lot of my emotional stress. So— the, the greatest value of what I think I just saw with uh, Dr. Mellon's work is that it gives me, I took a space, and in that space, I went and started to make change. When we make change and we make space and we focus on our emotions and our feelings, something's going to change. Something's going to happen. And uh, the problem is most of us don't ever make the time to do that. So make sure you take time to look at your emotions. You are not your emotion. If you're mad, you're not mad. You're still yourself. You got to go put your madness in space, right? Do something about it. A little coach's corner for you. We'll take a break. It's the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world, helping you become the best you can be. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number three of the program. We got a lot for you today. Holy cow. We'll get into it. It's Presidential Joke Day, which, you know, Seems to be playing out in the election. Also, um, it is it's uh, it's the day we play in the sand. It's play in the sand day. Who doesn't love to just play in the sand? We will be getting to that along with some incredible headlines coming up. Um, things you almost won't even believe. Crazy stories. For example, what do you do when you return home and someone's sleeping in your bed? scary. We'll talk about that. Also, a guy that shot himself accidentally, didn't pay attention to the earlier uh, advice we gave, and uh, not good. We'll get there. Also, a healthy eating contest. You know, you see all these guys stuffing hot dogs into their mouth, 40-something hot dogs. Maybe they need a healthy eating contest where you can stuff broccoli Well, it's happening. We'll get to that as well. Plus other headlines, plus, of course, our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. We'll find out what's coming up on their show and the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. All of this 
in one hour. Let's get to it. Let's start with the headlines. Who better to enlighten us on headlines than Sadie Nielsen? Sadie? Police in Los Angeles on Wednesday said a 14-year-old boy shot dead by police a day earlier had fired on police officers first. Police had been investigating a report of vandalism when they ran into two teenagers, one of whom ran away. While pursuing him, police say the boy fired a weapon at the officers and was subsequently killed when they returned fire. The boy, identified as Jesse James Romero, died at the scene. The Drug Enforcement Administration is set to announce Thursday that while the U.S. government will allow more research into marijuana, it will not be reclassified from its current status as a Schedule One drug. The decision is a response to a petition filed by two former state governors in 2011. Schedule One drugs, including drugs like heroin and LSD, have no currently accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. And the petition asks that the marijuana be reclassified as a drug that does have accepted medical uses. In 25 states, marijuana can be used for medical purpose and in four states recreational use for adults is legal. Speaking to a crowd in Fort Lauderdale on Wednesday night, Republican nominee Donald Trump accused President Barack Obama of founding the Islamic State terror group. He is the founder of ISIS, Trump said, repeating, he is the founder of ISIS, okay? Taking it a step further, Trump went on to target his opponent in the presidential race. And I would say the co-founder would be crooked Hillary Clinton, he said. And finally, wow. Um, this one's a great story. Um, very sad, unfortunately. A surgeon in Massachusetts has been accused of taking a kidney from the wrong patient after misidentifying the person oh. on the operating table. Don't you hate when that happens? Yes. The Massachusetts Department of Health is investigating the incident, which reportedly took place at St. Vincent Hospital. The hospital did not explain how the mishap happened, nor did it identify the surgeon involved. Patient misidentifications during surgery are thought to occur only once in about... Every 112,000 procedures, making the mistake relatively rare. Thank heavens. I don't think so, because we hear about them more than that. That's true. Crazy. So that means they took the wrong one, which means that... It's they okay. Took, he yeah. has another one. Well, not a, no, because they were apparently going to fix that one. Well, they were going to get rid of the bad one, and they, now he's only got the bad one left. Fine. Oh, There's machines they can put them on. He's Holy fine. cow. <laughs> you are the devil. Thank you, Sadie, for introducing us to the devil. No, you can't. That is crazy. It seems like you just can't make a mistake there. No, I mean, they usually they come in during the uh, pre-op and they take a, a marker of some kind and they say this side or this right. knee or right. whatever. So there is no mistake and someone made a mistake. I guess it's hard to mark a kidney. Well, you just put a cross on the side of the body that you're going to go make the cut in. I mean, that's kind of the... The problem is it, this is where you need five people to make a mark, right? So, and to check the mark. The nurse, right. the orderly, the anesthetist, everybody. Oh, that poor guy or gal. Hmm. Well, okay. Could be worse. Well, I have a feeling they may have enough money to deal with the problem coming up anyway. So. Oh, but yeah, look at you. <laughs> we always have these stories about people waiting on the list for a kidney or a donor. Or, yeah. Man. Hey, uh, okay, maybe this will make them happier. Today is Presidential Joke Day. Hmm. You may not know this, but the holiday was created in honor of an infamous joke cracked by President Ronald Reagan. This is a lesson that Donald Trump would need to learn if he's going to be president. 
During a sound check before a Saturday radio broadcast, Reagan said, "My fellow Americans, I'm pleased. I sound like Nixon. I'm pleased to announce that I've signed legislation outlining the Soviet Union. We begin bombing in five minutes." Huh. That's pretty funny. Everyone was laughing, except the Russians, of course. Yes. Who then went on high alert and, uh, you know, were thinking they were about to be attacked. Because the president of the country that you have tensions with just said so. That's right. No. In an open microphone. Donald Trump's been cracking jokes left and right. Yeah, it's fun. But some of his fall short. We will now give you some funny lines from past presidents. We will see if there's a pass or a fail, if people laugh or if not. Are you ready? President Teddy Roosevelt once said, when they call the roll in the Senate, the senators do not know whether to answer present or not guilty. Yeah. It's a good joke. That's a good joke. Uh, Bill Clinton once said, being president is like running a cemetery. You've got a lot of people under you and nobody's listening. These are good. President George Bush once said, uh, these stories about my intellectual capacity really get under my skin. You know, for a while, I even thought my staff believed it. They're on my schedule. First thing every morning, it said intelligence briefing. Hmm. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Intelligence briefing. Okay. I, I, I understand it. what he's saying, but... So you guys didn't think that one. It's was more funny. of like time and place. If you're in the the, the press room and they say that at the, at the White House, all the reporters will give you a chuckle because you know, yeah, hmm. they don't want to seem like a jerk, and then you'll sure. talk to them. Yeah, they're all hoo hoo hoo. They they cheer. They they give standing or they they cheer. They clap mm-hmm. for Hillary Clinton. Yes, but you don't see the press clapping for Donald Trump or laughing at his jokes. Are they They're funny? just jokes. Are they funny? He didn't say that she, he that somebody should shoot somebody. Did you see what Giuliani said about that? No. He went on ABC News and he goes, "If Donald Trump, he goes, Donald Trump would have just said we should shoot Hillary Clinton if that's what he meant. He wouldn't have beat around the bush. He would have he just, just said, said, it. said it. And he goes, and if he did say it, all those people would have gone nuts. Wow. N- you know, kind of implying that the Trump campaign and Giuliani know who's in the crowd." the type of person who would accept that as being a, 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 you know, the the proper way to deal with a president you don't agree with. Yeah. Take a shot at him. Just kind of an interesting 24 hours. It was a joke. It was a joke. So maybe one of the conditions of becoming president is your jokes have to be funny. Uh, Not necessarily. They just have to be uh, non-confrontational, I guess. Non-offensive. Okay. What uh, news do you have for us, young man? An Indiana man, excuse me, an Indian man. He's not from Indiana. Okay. So the odds of being on a plane crash are roughly one or 1.2 million. The odds of winning the lottery jackpot were recently estimated to be 45 million to one. The odds of both happening in the span of just one week, well, you'd have to do the math. But that ex- it's exactly what happened to one man last week. He survived a plane crash landing. And then six days later, won $1 million in the lottery. Wow. 62-year-old Muhammad Bashir 
Abdul Qadar was one of 300 passengers aboard the Emirates flight EK-521 en route from India last Wednesday when it crashed on the runway in Dubai's main airport. This was on the yeah, news. Yeah, I saw that. Airplanes on fire. He was this. there. He was in, on the airplane. Before he embarked on his family vacation to India, Qadar had uh, purchased a ticket at the Dubai Duty-Free Millennium Millionaire Contest. <laughs> And he won. So he survived the plane crash. Wow. And then that same week wins a million dollars in the lottery. He says, I feel like God gave me a second life when I survived the plane crash and blessed me with this money to follow up uh, by doing all these good things in my life. Do you, you bet, that guy better pray he doesn't get struck by lightning because that's what, one one in a something million. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful gift. So he survives and thrives and then he hopes to do something good with the money like i don't know that's great donated to people we talked about before there's two new cookies on the market yes let's the girl scouts this. celebrating s'mores day which uh, i believe mm. was yesterday we talked about that a little bit um so s'mores flavored cookies for the girl scouts <laughs> s'mores i love s'mores. um also oreos has announced a new flavor it's going to arrive what? later i believe this week swedish fish <gasps> I love Swedish fish. It uh, leaked on the internet. People thought it was a Photoshop job of just some weird, because the, the color of the icing is pink. Yeah. Like a salmon pink, but even more so. Does, so it's like a, it's a salmon Swedish fish. Maybe. The Oreo representative uh, confirmed to a website the fish cookies, or fishy cookies are only being sold at Kroger grocery stores. So if you have one of those near you, look yeah. for that. Or you could probably find them online. Does it, does it actually have any real Swedish fish in it? There's no Swedish fish chunks, if you will. Oh, that would have been perfect. But they will have a similar flavor. I'm not sure what they, ta- what they taste like, but I was told they taste like sugar. So, what, A Swedish fish tasting like sugar? That's what I was told. What? Well, how about this scary thing? And it, does it not bring back a little memory? What if you return home and you find somebody sleeping in your bed? Like Goldilocks? Somebody has been sleeping in my bed. There you go. It's happening. Did they eat your porridge too or? The porridge was missing. Wow. Three beds had been tested and one was just right. (laughs) Scary. A woman in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, made a startling discovery when she returned home from work last month. By the way, she found the stranger wasn't in her bed. The beds were all, they they didn't feel right. She found a stranger asleep in her living room. According to police, 32-year-old woman came home from work, by the way, to find a handwritten note on her door. A handwritten note. Okay. And I I want you to think about this. Is it better to write a note Mm. if you're going to be a stranger sleeping in someone's couch or not? The note said, don't be scared. When you come in, Bob is here. Great. Now. She walked into her home, and she found a man, later identified as 28-year-old Robert Sheets. That would be Bob. Bob, a.k.a. Bob. What about Bob? Sleeping on her living room sofa. Officers responded to the home and tried several attempts to wake Mr. Sheets. Hmm. He was like six sheets to the wind. Hmm. I don't know the phrase. Right. Uh, Police say he was under the influence of a controlled substance. Interesting. He was arrested and booked into county jail. Hmm. But he left a note. He left a note. He was being courteous. Is it better, if you're going to break the law and get arrested, is it better to leave a note, hey, don't be scared when you come in? 
It might work to your favor in sentencing. That's true. I, uh, I was trying to be courteous. Your Honor, I left a note. <laughs> I was telling her that she might be nervous that Bob is here. But I'm nice. I'm not even Robert. I'm just Bob. Call me Bob. Yeah. More of a friendly version of Robert. I will be very difficult to wake up, though, because I am loaded. (laughs) So sad. Ah. Do you think you'll leave a note or not? Hmm. I don't know. Depends on what your name is. That's true. What if your name is Damien? Definitely not. Don't be scared. When you come in, Damien is here. (laughs) What? Phyllis? (laughs) Phyllis. Phyllis is upstairs. Don't be scared when you come in, hon. Phyllis is here. That's, I would let Phyllis in. I'd even put the word hun in there. Hmm. Hmm? Yeah, no, no. I think it would work to his favor in yeah. sentencing when you say that you tried to do everything in your power to inform the homeowner that you were indeed inside their home. I don't think it matters. But you, could you see a lawyer making that argument? Oh, yeah, for sure. And the judge totally shooting it down? You break the law. Yeah. The law is the law. Hmm. Note or not, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help, does it? It doesn't help. Well, thank heavens you're not uh, that woman coming in there. That'd be kind of scary. We'll take a uh, break, folks. We've got an interesting topic coming up next. We're going to be speaking with a psychologist who used a magic trick to show how irrational we are and uh, debunking some of the myths of the brain. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, how how gullible is our brain? How many tricks can be played on one brain? If you've gone to a magic show, you might uh, feel like your brain really went through the ringer. Today, we are asked uh, Jay Olson to join us. Jay studies experimental psychology at McGill University, and his, uh, he's been researching using magic um, in one of his studies. And we wanted to pick his brain, find out really what's going on in our brain. How irrational of a mind do we have as human beings? Uh, We welcome you to the show. Jay Olson, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Talk about your study and your research. What are we finding out about our brains? Well, the most recent study that we did was trying to look at how much we can impact somebody's experience using things like and suggestion. So what happened in, in the study is we told participants that we have a new kind of um, brain scanner that can both read your thoughts, so like know what you're thinking, mm-hmm. and also in, influence your thoughts. Uh, and then um, the procedure was we would bring the participants into this machine, and then we would have them choose a number from 1 to 100. They would just choose a random number. And then we told them that the brain scanner would, would, would infer which number they're thinking of by looking at their brain activation patterns. Um, so we would slide <laughs> the, the participants out of the machine, and then a computer would print out a number from 1 to 100. And then I, w- I would ask the participant, what number did you choose? So, so for example, just choose a number randomly from 1 to 100 right now. Yeah, 5. 5? Okay, so I would flip over that, that page, and it would say 5. So from the participant's point of view, they just thought of a number. They didn't even say it. They just thought of a number, and then somehow the machine printed out this. Hmm. And, and, and so we did this a few times with the participants, and then they really started believing that this machine could read their mind. 
Now, actually, this was all done through a magic trick. So the, the participants didn't know that I was a magician, and using a fairly simple magic trick, uh, I, I was just making the, the printer print out whichever number they chose. Okay. okay so that was, uh, that was the first part of the study. The second part of the study, we told them, now this, this machine is going to influence your choice. And then the printer started off by printing out a number from 1 to 100. Uh, I, I didn't show the participants what the number was, but I told them, you're going to go into that machine, and, and using natural electromagnetic fluctuations, it's going to influence your decision. <laughs> um, so it'll make you choose that particular number. Okay. So, so the participant went back in, into the machine and then came back out, and I said, well, what number did you choose? So, for example, just name another number. Uh, 28. 28. So I would flip over the page, and it would say 28. Ooh. So from their point of view, the machine printed out a number and then influenced them to choose it. But it was the same trick you used in the first one. Yeah, yeah, exactly the same trick. But yeah. nobody suspected that it was magic because we disguised all of this as science. Yeah, right. They walked. I bet you were wearing a jacket, like a white lab coat, were you? Yeah, <laughs> well, not the white lab coat, but we were dressed like very professionally, yeah. and 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 the machine was like one of these large um, machines. It was making all sorts of these of these brain scanner noises, so the whole thing seemed very credible. Mm-hmm. And then what we were looking at is what's the difference in people's minds when they're choosing these numbers. Um, so the difference in their head when they thought the machine was reading their mind versus when they thought the machine was influencing them, and we found a very large difference in people's feelings of control over their thoughts. So people, when they thought they were being influenced, they would say things like, oh, I could feel my head swelling, my head was getting very hot. (laughs) One person said that there was this voice that would drag him onto some particular number that, that he didn't want. So say that he wanted the number 14. He was trying to choose 14, but he felt this voice was, was drawing him towards 28. Um, some people said that they would, like this number would pop into their head, like say the number five would pop into their head, and then they said that they couldn't change it. Like this number would just jump in there, and then they would try to think of another number, but it just wouldn't work. Um, somebody else said that her eyes were flickering back and forth as all these numbers were going by in her head, and then her eyes would stop on one number, and that would be the number that she has to choose. And so what is that? It, that they're just they're they're attributing experiences to the study. Yes. So basically... Making it up, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. so just with the suggestion that the machine is, is going to influence them, they could sort of talk themselves into actually experiencing all of, uh, all of these different things, like this, this reduced control over their thoughts or, or, or their head swelling or like feeling, feeling the numbers sort of drilling in, inside of their head. Yeah. So basically we showed that um, just through suggestion, you can take the average person and make them really believe and experience that they're that they're losing control of their mind. Wow, that is scary. I mean, I, I guess we've always kind of sensed that we could do that, right? Um, but I guess we could also we could also use their or work their mind or influence their mind to think think other thoughts right like positive thing could, could i could i put thoughts into your mind that would make you be a better person treat others better yeah so that was um something that we actually studied in and in, in the second study that we just completed now um so we use the same kind of method 
Although we told them this time that this machine is 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 able to see their deep down true attitudes that they have. Um, so say that somebody thinks that sure that they're sort of a, a, an average helping person. They're kind of charitable sometimes. We told them that deep down we can see how charitable they really are. So like how charitable <laughs> their brain is, whether they're very altruistic, very charitable versus versus not very charitable. And so we had this whole deceptive setup once again, and then um, they filled out various questionnaires while, again, the machine would, um, would uh, try to guess their responses. And then so once we convinced them that we could see their, their like, inner true attitudes, we told half of them randomly that their brain is actually a lot more charitable than they think they are. And then we told another half of them they're actually a lot less charitable, a lot less helping than they believe they were. And then um, wow. we had them fill out some more questionnaires. Yeah. And, and we found that, that the people who we told deep down they're more charitable, they would have a large increase in, in how charitable they, they actually saw themselves. So basically, if, if you convince somebody that deep down they are something, they'll start seeing themselves um, corresponding with that. Holy cow. So the people who we told are more charitable, they started saying, I'm more charitable. The people who we told were less, they started saying that, that they were less. Um, we found a couple in interesting things, though. Yeah, what'd you find? We said, um, why do you think that you got this feedback that, you're, um, that your brain is, in some cases, uh, more charitable, and for some people, that, that is less charitable? And then 80% of them would just jump onto some... Um, some kind of reason for this. So they would say, uh, they would say things like, "Oh, well, like, yeah, I think I am actually more charitable than I wrote. Like, I, I donate a lot of money, and I, I actually donate a lot of my college funds to a homeless person." And for the people who we said you're actually less charitable, we would say, um, "Why do you think this is?" And then they would jump on some, um, some kind of reason. They would say, "Well, I know actually, I don't really donate a lot. I, I pass homeless people on the street in Montreal quite a bit, and I." And I, uh, I almost never donate. Hmm. So people, they um, find they could it. Rationalize, yeah, yeah. They could rationalize this feedback that they got, although the feedback was completely random. So like they could sort of talk themselves into explaining why they got this uh, this feedback that they believed was like deep right. down. Well, is down. that? I mean, we we always we and I don't. I mean, some believe in it of like people that read your hand or read your cards and um, all of a sudden they're going through telling you things, you know, I, I sense or read your fortune, I guess some, I sense there's somebody in your life. And are, are these gentle little uh, suggestions then we will go in and make sense of? We, we are the ones that will turn it and interpret it into something meaningful for us. Yeah, definitely. So there's, uh, I, I, I guess, two aspects of this when these people are trying to um, read your future. Um, first, we know that when you're given sort of ambiguous or vague feedback, uh, I'm kind of what they got here, just saying generally you're more charitable than, than you think they are. Um, you'll, you'll often interpret this in like very, very meaningful ways, and, uh, and you'll think about examples of, of how this might happen in the future, and, and you'll feel that this is very personal for you. So they've done some studies where they gave people a personality reading that said things like, 
sometimes you feel very confident, although sometimes when nobody's around, you're a little bit insecure. Or, hmm. or, or, or some things like um, you're, you're very close with some of your friends, but some of the friends that you're close with, uh, at times you don't like them very much. And <laughs> they gave these personality readings, which were actually all the same to a bunch of people. And the majority of them said, yes, like this really describes me. This is really who I am. Wow. So like they could uh, um, interpret these things as, as very specific. And relate to it and connect to it. Uh, Jay, let's take a break. We're going to come back more with Jay Olson on uh, the psychology of magic and uh, really the irrational behavior sometimes of our own brains and minds. Stick with us more with Jay Olson when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. The power of suggestion. It, uh, our mind will make it work one way or another, whether we suggest are suggested things that are positive or if we are suggested things that are negative, our brain will make the connection. That's some of the research Jay Olson is finding as he is studying experimental psychology at McGill University. He has a master's in science there and uh, is teaching us today about uh, the mind. It's such, uh, I guess it's irrational. Is that how you'd put it, Jay? It, our mind will make meaning in anything. Yes, that's basically what we're finding. Like, um, we're very irrational and, uh, and also very suggestible. Mm. So in the right context, you can take the average person and make them experience and believe and behave sometimes in, in, in unfairly extreme ways just through suggestion. I guess so it should work that if I suggest to my children that they're great at something, they might start believing they're great at it. Is there is there a downside to the suggestions or is it the you know the person will eventually be all right either way? Well, normally with these um, suggestions, they vary quite a bit based on the uh, the context and uh, the person, but generally, um, we do find that if you give people um, small suggestions, then then like they will change their attitudes and uh, and their behavior accordingly. So you see lots of this in in medicine and the placebo effect, for example. Um, so doctors who who prescribe some some kind of pill uh, and they say if you take this, you'll you'll feel better and y- your uh, your flu will go away, your fever will go down. Just that suggestion and the expectation that the people have that, that this is going to improve them helps in, improve their symptoms. And so the placebo effect is um, one of the most robust examples that we have of how, how little suggestions like this may have a, a large impact on, uh, on your life. It's, and again, even because uh, placebo could even change certain health issues, right? I mean, with the placebo effect... We actually might not need to medicate somebody simply because they believe they are being medicated, and that that could prove advantageous. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and, and there have been lots of, of cases and, and studies showing that um, for some people, whether they take the the pill itself, like the active pill, or or a placebo effect, or a, a placebo pill rather, it'll it'll show basically the same improvement within them. So. 
it seems like in in some cases, a lot of the improvement that they're getting is actually from suggestion and expectation and not actually from the the ingredients in the pill itself. Hmm. Where do you where do you see using this in the future? Where do you want to take the research and how are ways that we as parents can be using it? Well, what we're generally trying to study is a suggestion without hypnosis necessarily. So there has been a, a lot of research on on hypnosis and, and the suggestion that's being used there, but we're more interested in just the suggestion itself that uh, that works on the uh, on the average person. Hmm. Um, so what we're doing now is we're trying to see how this uh, how this may affect health. So for example, if you tell somebody that they're actually more healthy or or if their brain, for example, is actually more athletic than than they believe they are, will this uh, will this impact some uh, some health behaviors that they have? So, for example, well, what kinds of foods foods they eat, or um, how often they run, for example. So, we're looking at how how these kinds of suggestions might uh, apply in, in practical practical ways in people's own lives. Hmm. Which, which is so counterintuitive because the doctor, you'd think, would only state the facts. But what if you could find out health-wise you might help somebody's prognosis by stating also a little illusion or a suggestion um, that might impact health positively as well? Wow, interesting concept. Definitely. So we don't want to, I mean, obviously deceive a, right. a, a patient, but um, we do want to take a, a, a more practical look at this and say, um, say that the doctor can like lighten some things in, in, in one way or, or like overemphasize more positive things. How will these affect um, suggestion and expectation and, uh, and, and maybe make this placebo effect stronger so you can uh, help the patient more? What, uh, as you, who are, you're in this and, and you're working in this, what have you figured out just about your day-to-day life? Has it changed at all? Like, so now when somebody is trying to sell you a magic trick or trying to, you know, get you to buy something, does, has it changed how you accept their suggestions? Yeah, one thing that's happened is uh, I, I've become a lot more aware of, of all the suggestions that we that we sort of normally give throughout the day. Um, so one example that, that pops into, into my head is uh, I, I had hurt my knee during a, a workout, and then, and then I told my dad that I um, hurt my knee a bit. And then my dad said, oh, well, it might be hurting a bit now, but in the morning, that's when you're really going to feel it. That's when it'll be hurting more. <laughs> and then I, yeah. I, I was thinking, like, he's just, trying to, he's just trying to be honest, right? But that's not the kind of suggestion that you want to give someone. <laughs> you want to say something like, yeah, and, and make sure that you're very careful um, with it in in the morning, and, and it'll recover in no time or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. That's interesting. Right? So yeah, and, and maybe we ought to all be looking more at our suggestions and rewriting them. Definitely, yeah, uh, and uh, and so it might be about a knee, or, or as, as you were talking about before, it might be a note on somebody's door saying, "Don't be scared and sleeping in your <laughs> right. living room." But we'll um, learn how to give people more positive suggestions. That was a great, uh, great example. Well, Jay Olson, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work there at McGill University, and we suggest everybody go check out Jay's site, jayolson.org. Just a lot of uh, links to other research that he's been a part of. Wonderful stuff. Boy, we're all a little, uh, we're all a little influenceable, and thank heavens in a way. We don't want to be so rigid we can't relate. 
Well, if you uh, want to stick around for a really awesome, fun, exciting time, you're going to want to stick out about, I don't know, we've only got 17 more minutes in the show. We'll be back. I'm suggesting it'll be incredible to be here. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the moment of all moments, the time uh, many wait for and celebrate. The moment we get to go talk to our good brethren down at BYU Sports Nation. Today we will be speaking with Jerem Jordan and Jason Shepard. And to tee it all up, we've got a little song that will lead into our first topic of discussion. Hey, me just met you. And this is crazy. But you got cookie. So share it, maybe. It's Hello, gentlemen. Your snack baby. But you got cookie. Are you down there? You got cookie. Let's share it, maybe. Cookies. <laughs> I could go for a cookie right now. I know. I could cookie it up. Could you cookie it up? Yeah. Okay, so here's the choice of all choices. I don't know if you know this. Girl Scouts are coming out with a new cookie. And so is Oreo. I need you to choose. Keebler if you, will quickly pounce on that. If you could only pick Scouts. one of these cookies, you've got to either pick the Oreo or... The Girl Scout. Girl Scouts have announced that they're coming out with some new s'mores cookies. Ooh. S'mores what? S'mores cookies. Yeah. <laughs> I, I used to get a lot of... Um, no, I'll answer your question first. A okay. s'more okay, cookie? Okay, so, so the Girl Scouts are coming out with a s'more s- A cookie. s'more cookie, the first new Girl Scout cookie since 2015. That was last year. Does that really need yeah, to be like mentioned? S- yeah. What what was that one? <laughs> that was the the new <laughs> that was the that new toffee tastic uh, and trios and raw raw raisins. Those were their new releases. Now Girl Scouts so, used to have the market on this. Right. I, I remember as a, a young lad, the Girl Scouts leader in our community. We would do we would do like nice things for her. You'd always hoping she, to get boxes yeah. of Samoas, which is yeah. the best. Girl Scout cookies. So Samoa's came out and they produced their own, and then it like right. affected the Girl Scout. Like, what's up with that? Well, why are you trying to squash the Girl Scouts? Yeah, why are you squashing them? I mean, Jeez. come on, Samoa's, but now it's Samores. So I'm worried that there's going to be a problem. They're not going to know. I thought I ordered Samoa's. No, you got the Samores, ma'am. It's. Hey, Do you think it's a problem? They, they have to figure that out. The reality is raw, raw raisin. Problem. Nobody wanted raw, raw raisin. Let's Nobody be real. Wants a raisin cookie. Come on. Raisin cookie. What are we? No, come on. Like, what are like we? It's the third option. Like, oh, are you out of uh, Snickerdoodle and s'mores <laughs> and what? Eh, I'll take a raisin cookie. By the way, the at the Senior Citizen Center, raw, raw raisin was the number one cookie sold. Makes sense. By the way, um, nothing more fun than a senior Girl Scout. So uh, latest Oreo flavor. So we have Oreos now competing with Girl Scouts. Oreos have come out. Tell me how you feel about this with a Swedish fish cookie. Nope. I love Swedish fish. I do too. Uh, I don't want it in a cookie. It's pinkish. It's got pink filling. So it actually looks like salmon. Does it... (laughs) Does, does the cookie swim upstream? No, nope, no swimming, and no little no little fish chunks in the cream. Oh, it's got bears, real bits of fish, but bears love it. Bears love real it. Real bits of fish. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so, is so is this really is this really a debate? I know it. It's it doesn't feel like a debate. It's a s'more. It's always a s'more. Like Oreo's been coming out with some questionable flavors. I know. 
Like, like you know, what's wrong with just having a regular Oreo or or the the vanilla Oreos? Yeah. Ah, oh, I love. Vanilla I don't know Oreos. about you, but I can, can only s- eat an Oreo with milk. Me They're too. Too dry for me. Last night, you've did been it. conditioned. I did it. I think. I like think the bell with Jim from the office <laughs> and Dwight. That's exactly right. Oreo though is going after the Swedish market and the fish market and the fish market. They actually get two markets. It's actually a, a, it's a, good, a, a business decision. Mm-hmm. Be at Ikea, is that they, by the way, the Swedish fish cookies are only available at Kroger's grocery store. What about Swedish meatball flavor? Oh, no, that is that would be an Oreo. Speaking of Ikea. Yeah. <laughs> Talk, speaking about Swedes. Hey, what about uh, you guys watching the Olympics? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think BYU – or not BYU. Do you think the, the basketball team, the U.S. basketball team – do you think uh, they were a little scared yesterday? Are you serious right now? Yeah. Scared? Yeah. They have like four NBA players. We have 12. I know. And we're on a yacht, by the way. I was going to say, that's what I'm it really was. They were on the yacht. They were, you know, probably got there a little late. Didn't take the Aussies as serious. Yeah. Slacking. Because I don't know if I would necessarily categorize some of the players on the team as uh, – um, maybe the best uh, mo- role models. Mm-hmm. Hey, just win and don't get in trouble, okay? Well, yesterday, they what would happen if they didn't win? They would have been The laughing stock of the yachting they would have been destroyed. world. Here's the good thing. They did win. And let's be honest. The Australian team is not bad. No. The Australian team is actually pretty good. Right. And so for being a non-American team, yeah, well, I mean that just goes without saying. <laughs> oh duh! <laughs> but I mean, you know, they are a good team. But yeah, I mean, you know, you, you win the game, you're not going to beat everybody by forty, even though we, you know, we all want that. Are are the Australians more like the Swedish fish Oreo cookie? Oh. And the Americans were more like the s'mores. The interesting Hard thing to compare. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys noticed I think this though. Serbia. <laughs> and uh, Lithuania, I think, fit those molds. Yeah, I think you're what's, right. what's the most interesting thing about the Australian team is when they bounce the ball, the ball actually rotates the other way. Have yeah! you noticed that? I noticed it's that. It's funny. When you but, but, the it's, ball down the but as soon as like Carmelo Anthony touches the ball, it's back to the regular rotation. It's, it's the craziest works, thing man. I've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> the, it, that, the Southern Hemisphere is crazy. It is crazy. Hey, the um, thing I did on my... Uh, Mission trip to Brazil was flush the toilet and be like, does it spin the other way? Is it going the other I way? I don't remember. It's hard to remember. You it's... had one job and you don't remember? No, I had uh, several jobs <laughs> baptized among them. That's another <laughs> job. Not in the toilet. What's, uh, what's on your show? You guys still going to do your show with the Olympics on and everything? Today's a big day. I, I'm surprised how packed today's Thursday, August 11th show is. I really am. Your Thursday shows seem to be packed a lot of times. Not during the summer as much. Yeah, like this that's one. true. So we'll go live to fall camp with Lauren Frank and we'll get the latest from football practice. Uh, Tim Lacombe is in studio to talk about. He's an assistant coach on the men's basketball team. Their schedule is out. We're going to talk about the fit between that schedule and this roster. We're also going to have Mike Empey, BYU oh, football. Yeah. A, uh, a conversation with him coming up. The, the cool thing about today's show is if you're a BYU football fan, and who isn't, we got you covered. If you're a BYU basketball fan, we've got you covered. If you want to hear some Olympic stuff, we've got you covered. We've got it all covered. Baseball. You're covered. Baseball schedule is released. Volleyball is ranked in the top 20. We'll tell you where. Wow. Preseason poll. Yeah. Wow. There's, there's a lot going on, man. Great show. And Great the show. receiver who's who's making waves in practice right now. Newcomer. Really? Uh, legit. He's playing really good right now. We'll Possibly tell you about too him. legit to quit? Possibly. <laughs> 
We'll know. We'll know in 23 days. <laughs> he better not quit. Hey, by the way, give him, give that boy a Swedish fish Oreo cookie. That that would be an NCAA violation. We will not do that. Okay, that's true. Yeah. Just Compliance leave him and see if he us. picks him up. When are these going to be available? Uh, I, I want to actually just see what this looks like. I think they're available. Gross. I think the Oreos are available now. And August 10th, National S'mores Day, is when the Girl Scouts are launching their new cookie. It would be so awesome if you went to a grocery store and you looked at it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so gross. <laughs> just draw attention to the fact that you're not buying it. <laughs> it hurts. It's so gross. Okay, we'll send you down some of those, though, just to have you test them. Can we have some actual Swedish fish, though, so that we can oh, something love... we do, like, after the fact? Yeah, yesterday? Laughs, you yesterday. Swedish fish upstairs? Yeah. Oh, Why am I just finding this out okay. Now? I think we will. Uh, we know where we'll be meeting later. Yeah, Matt's going to take care of that while we're on the air for the two next o'clock hour. meeting. He's like, you... well, I know Jeremy's gone for the next hour. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Searching. I hope you left your door open. Long. Guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Stay sweet. Thank you. Kill it. That's crazy. Crazy. Well, uh, in the health food eating world, we do have a little update for you. Uh, we've talked a lot about the hot dog eating contest where people eat so many contest, uh, hot dogs they get sick. How about if we started to have healthier contests like, I don't know, Buffalo is holding. Buffalo is holding a, a, a contest called Kale Yeah, and Kale is the a health food that you normally would see. It, it, you'd see it. At the salad bar, but it would normally be just surrounding everything else you're eating. Kind of a garnish. But kale, they, they hosted a kale eating contest, the world's healthiest eating championship in July. And guess what? Uh, somebody won the kale cup by eating a bowl fre- full of fresh, green, slightly bitter kale, downing 25 half bowls of kale in eight minutes. Why, you ask? No idea. <laughs> Crunchy, crunch, crunch, crunch. But they did win two grand. So I personally think I'd still rather down about 50 hot dogs dipped in water. Another story for you that uh, you're not going to believe. It's in the bad boys category. And this is a little lesson to you kids that are trying to go all gangster on people. You got to be careful. Okay? A man shot himself. He had a gun placed in his waistband. Okay? During a robbery attempt. So you know where the gun is. It's in his waistband. And uh, he gets into the gas station. He's going to do a little armed robbery. The police say the man approached a vehicle at the gas station Attempted to rob the people inside, but when he allegedly tried to pull the handgun from his waistband, bada boom, bada bang. Bam! Bam! He got shot. He shot himself in the waistband area. He done blown a bullet in his middle waistband area. Kids, if you are going to have an armed robbery, carry a holster. Holster your weapon. This is something Jeff was talking to me about just the other day. This is really good advice. You should listen. You don't need to have it in your waistband. There's, we're not old school. You could have a shoulder. You could have a shoulder harness for it. You could have a clip on the on your belt, a belt clip. Keep it in the back, not in the front of your waistband. Purse. Keep it in your purse. Have somebody hold a bag for you. 
We're here to help, folks. We don't need you to get shot. We don't need you to even have guns, quite honestly. Well, as we end the show, we always like to end with a hero story. And uh, who better to be the hero today than our uh, story that came out of KUTV News in Salt Lake City. After pulling a toddler out of the water, seven-year-old child was called a hero. Listen to this. A seven-year-old West Valley boy is being called a hero after he pulled a drowning two-year-old boy out of the pool Thursday. Cesar Galena was walking to his cousin's house to play video games when he heard a splash coming from a pool at his apartment complex in uh, West Valley. He was like uh, tapping the water to get air, Cesar said. So he ran through the main office lobby, through the pool entrance, and reached in to pull the two-year-old to safety. I feel like I was holding a rock, Cesar said, Cesar said, but he was able to pull the boy out of the water and run for help. When the apartment complex employees were notified of what happened, they called police and the toddler was transported to the hospital. Roxanne Vinuku with West Valley Police Department said the toddler's family was loading groceries into the apartment and didn't know that he had wandered off. Management um, at the apartment complex said surveillance shows the two-year-old wandering by himself outside and inside the pool area for around 10 minutes. Vinuku said the two-year-old is expected to make a full recovery, all because of a cute little seven-year-old boy, Cesar, Cesar Galena. Congratulations, Cesar, for being the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. I'm telling you, folks, it's sometimes you just got to pay attention. It's just the little information we're all getting. And when you get it, you might save a life like Cesar did. So someday that little two-year-old is going to... Uh, be able to truly thank this seven-year-old boy. If a seven-year-old boy can do it, folks, we all can. That's the show, the Matt Townsend Show. Our goal, remember, to help you see the good in the world, you can go look us up on iTunes, on TuneIn, go to the Facebook page, look me up at matttownsend.com. We're everywhere, folks, but we can't do it without you. We'll be doing this again tomorrow for three hours, nine to noon Eastern, right here on BYU Radio. Until then, make it a great one. Let's look after each other, and we'll talk again tomorrow.